This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win... Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to another episode of 50 Years of Chelsea, a series by uh, the good old Chelsea Fancast, where we have been looking back at every every Chelsea season from 1969 to 19, uh, 1970 onwards. Uh, and we are now, we are now at, I have to say, actually, uh, I don't think I've told the boys this yet, but this this is possibly one of my, my all-time favourite seasons. Uh, this is 1988-89 for those of you who are asking, um, but I was I was living um, I was living in Lots Road at the time I think, uh, so I was right in the midst of it. Uh, I went to more games than I had before. Don't ask me to bloody remember them though. It was, this is my Keith Richards period, but it, there was a real buzz. I could tell you, you know, the fact that I was living in Chelsea, there was a huge buzz around around the whole area this year. It was just brilliant. So. And there are many other reasons why it was one of my favourite seasons, all of which we're going to get into tonight. But before we do, uh, we've got uh, the two people accompanying me this evening, as per ever, the wonderful, ubiquitous Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Lovely to be here, Chidge. Thank you for asking me again. Always a pleasure. Couldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be a show without you. You know that. Um, oh. Now, uh, we've also got the, the brains of an otherwise no-brain outfit. Uh, I'm just trying to remember the, the film I nicked that from, actually. But uh, anyway, yeah, very true, because we've got Mark Meehan on the show tonight, who who has got an encyclopedic knowledge of all things Chelsea, but particularly this era of Chelsea. Mark, always great having you on the show. Uh, good to be on the show tonight, Chidge. Uh, finally, you have a season where we actually are successful, rather than keep talking about relegation all the time. So looking forward to it. Absolutely, absolutely spot on, spot on, spot on. Uh, so... Um, as always, I like to start off, you know, on the little notes that I dish out. I've, I've given. Uh, uh, I mean, actually, that's the interesting thing. The kit didn't change. Actually, we've still got the same the same kit that we had uh, last season, which I love. It's the kind of the, 
you know the com the the blue commodore kit uh with the crisscross pattern on the shirts the awful jade kit i'm afraid is still with us uh but we've got a new third kit which was introduced this year uh which is red socks or stockings as we should correctly call them red shorts and a a red and white uh horizontal striped uh shirt and i have to say this is not for me jk i always thought it looked like a flaming <laughs> rugby kit well weirdly enough i quite well that was an interesting noise wasn't it weirdly um, weirdly <laughs> enough <laughs> weirdly enough ooh, i've suddenly become like a, a dowager woman hello yes um <laughs> weird, weirdly enough Chidge, i quite like it um, i knew you I, would I say that i just I knew didn't you would like say the, that the red kit of last year i didn't like it i didn't like it at all as an away kit and i thought they were making a bit of an effort i don't know whether he he, he did it because he wanted to sell it but um uh, being bates there must have been an ulterior motive that the little the little uh, the little building that stood for the shop must have perhaps possibly been selling a few of the replica shirts um but um no i'm i'm fond of it i i i thought progress was being made but as you say the jade kit i don't think the jade kit figured very much I think when in doubt, it was put this red and white one on if they possibly could. Yeah, it um, did seem to get... A f- I mean, actually, not only did it get a few outings, Judd, I mean, we've been... Also, I should let everybody know that, we, you know, now, uh, in, 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 I don't just have to look through YouTube and find any vague footage that might exist still. Conveniently, you'll find on YouTube the complete season review, which means, you know... And I'll actually, I'll talk about this in a minute, but um, one of the things that I've noticed is that not only did we use the red and white striped away kit a lot in the season, but a lot of people were adorning shirts in the in the terraces, which I I thought was interesting. Mark, what what uh, I think final verdict uh, from you on the, uh, the 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 rugby kit, as I like to call it? Yeah, I thought it was a strange choice at the time uh, that that red and white sort of stripe ac- across. Um, but again, my recollection, it was a popular kit, you know, surprisingly, so many people wore that kit, you're more likely to see that red away kit, than you you would even see the home kit. And I think what you would find is you certainly wouldn't find anyone wearing that jade kit, you know, so the team ever, ever. Mark, no, I don't remember anybody ever wearing I don't, that. I don't recall anyone ever wearing that no. on the terraces. No, no, but the red and white, absolutely. It's quite, it's slightly iconic, actually, for the period, it, it people seem to remember that more. Then obviously because you're playing in blue and the, uh, in the home kit, but as a so the the away kits have a kind of symbolism actually, um, particularly for those who went away mm. uh, and and if they could, I think Bates had cottoned on to the fact that if you wore the kit more, it would sell more, and Bates was always after that kind of uh, of uh, financial gain. So uh, yeah, I, I I I relate I relate this season very much to this kit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we only had it that one year, and I think. I think that's the thing. I, I mean, actually, you know what? In a way, it, you could say the same about these days, where we tend to get a, a, a weird third kit, which you know you can identify that that season by. I mean, recent yeah. seasons, the the M, the Embassy Number no. Ten kit, as me and Marco call it, which is the the two shades of blue stripes on the white background, and uh, that funny kind of black and very dark blue stripes with the with the kind of you know the lime uh, the the yellowish. Yeah, yeah, which I've it got. Was a good, I like that kit. Yeah. It's good. Actually. I've got one of those. I don't have many kits, but I think somebody gave it to us and put Manang on the back. It's a long story, not for this show. Um, no. What is for this show? And I alluded to this a minute ago about the fact that you know we've got uh, we've got the benefit of seeing the entire Chelsea season review, which is on YouTube. And as I said, I will I will put links to these on all, all of the blogs that we put up with the show eventually. But um, 
ITV had the uh, the rights for the football. Bates uh, was really. Uh, I mean, it's kind of a. There's a backstory to this. Mark might might back me up on this, but Greg Dyke was in charge of ITV at the time, and they were very very worried about the threat, the imminent threat of Sky uh, buying up all the rights. I mean, it's weird how history repeats itself, really. But, you know, the big five, which is basically Liverpool, Everton, Man United, Tottenham and Arsenal. Yes, I I don't agree with it either, but that's what it was considered to be. There was always this worry about they would do a breakaway league. Uh, Remember, this is pre-Premier League. Um, But basically, ITV, therefore, only really covered, in any great extent, the big five. So, do you know what? This is why I love Ken Bates. This is why these are one of the reasons like this is why I, I love Ken Bates. There are many reasons to hate him, but these are reasons why I love him. What does Ken do? He bans the ITV cameras for the entire season and does it himself. <laughs> you know, so basically, all the footage on the nineteen eighty nine, sorry, nineteen eighty eight, eighty nine Chelsea season review uh, was filmed by Ch- Chelsea's in house film unit. I suppose you could call them. Uh, which is why the the cameras are a bit shaky and they miss things like Gordon Jury's goal in one of the matches and things like that. But it means we've got this whole wealth of material to look at, so we shouldn't complain. Um, The other thing that I noticed about it, Mark, was a a very young Jonathan Pearce doing the uh, VO and trying to be funny and failing, just as he does these days. Yes, um, when, when, when I was watching it through, I think you had Steve Tong... Um, doing some of the interviews, and you had Jonathan Pierce as well. I'm thinking that is a very young Jonathan Pierce. I don't know whether that was pre-Capital Radio, because um, he used to do the commentary for Capital Radio in, in the early days. But yeah, his voice is instantly recognisable, even though it's like 30 years ago. But he was he was much more pitched up um, when he started doing uh, the, the the commentaries that were accessible. And he was quite laid back on that, because after a bit, he became very like that all the time. And he got known... He got known for that kind of approach to commentating. And then when he was taken on by the BBC, I think he thought he was going to be one of the main commentators and he was just one of the uh, the eight that they normally ref- went round the country with. The hateful and he, eight. And, and his, his, his commentary, actually, it, it obviously somebody had a word and suggested that he not pitch it up as high because he's, he's still quite um, excited, but never as excited as he was when he was first starting out as a commentator, which got him noticed. It was very clever. He got him noticed. Yeah, so. yeah. He's had a good career, bless him. You, you know, can't good. argue with very that. Good. But it was interesting to see him crop up on the end of season review doing the whole voiceover. But there you go. Um, there was another thing, actually, that, that uh, anybody who went in those days will absolutely remember this. Uh, but this was kind of the year where inflatables were all the rage. Every team seemed to have, well, not every team, but many teams seemed to have their own distinct inflatable uh man city famously had five banana ones uh somebody had i'm trying to remember some of the others actually but we i know we had celery ones because chel tell gave me one a, a celery inflatable celery i hasten to add <laughs> as, as a memento many years ago and i said to, when he moved when he left the country and i said come on mate this is like an heirloom you can't give this to me he said no no chidge chidge with a tear in his eye i i want and need you to have this have this to remember me by. And I, I don't know what I've done with it. It's, it's kicking around somewhere. But yeah, for inflatables. I, I was, Do you remember inflatables, JK? Yeah, very much so. But I was... I, I, this this must be... A, the fact that you've lost it is poor, poor, Chief. It's here because, somewhere. It's here because, somewhere. It is somewhere. Good, because it... it 
they were rare. You didn't see many people bringing inflatable celery, inflatable parrots. People brought parrots occasionally and people brought um, um, other other things you could get inflate seagulls. I remember people, somebody bringing us the seagull. Brighton brought the seagulls. What about albatross? <laughs> albatross. Fucking albatross. albatross. Yeah, yeah. Well, stormy, stormy petrol on a stick. Stormy petrol on a stick. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, so uh, uh, no, I loved it. I have to say, I completely loved it. And and uh, but I I've been doing my own um, uh, 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 celebration of inflatables. By I worked at Chichester Theatre in 1986, and uh, I used to hang them from the ceiling in the dressing room when we were uh, performing there. And um, you had to walk round them and not comment on the fact that they were in the way when you were in the dressing room getting changed. But um, that was just my own specific um, peccadillo. But nonetheless, no. So I've been a big fan of inflatables, and I loved it. I loved the. I loved the. the I think fans can really get it right occasionally with these things, and it was just. Uh, it was such fun. It was such fun seeing opposition supporters bring Man City, as you say, bringing the bananas. I loved that. That was great. Mark, great. Mark, what about you? Do you have uh, fond memories of inflatables, and what was your favourite choice of inflatable? It, it was a fun phenomenon, but what I remember of it is, I know you mentioned about Chelsea and Celery, which is completely logical, but I remember... There weren't the, many around, though, to be fair. But, but I remember, you know, Chelsea fans had the bananas as well, yeah, like Manchester. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember the inflatable bananas, um, and I remember, obviously, West Ham had inflatable hammers. Um, I think the most unusual one, they weren't in our league at the time, but I remember Grimsby fans used to bring inflatable fish to away games. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> that made me laugh so much. God, these things made me laugh. We forget about them. That was absolutely true. They did, they did. I thought that was great. Again, yeah, excellent stuff. Right now, uh, we've done the uh, bit of an intro there, giving setting the scene. I think we call it setting the scene. Um, so as ever, we're going to start with the ins and outs. Um, now, uh, Roy Vegerly went to Luton for seventy-five grand. Um, oh. Madness. Well, yeah, I'm going to talk about that because, I mean, I think, you know, yeah, it, it, it does seem so with 2020 hindsight, Mark, doesn't it? Because I think QPR paid a million quid from a few years later. And I, I always get the sense of Roy Vegley, who I think, you know, quite rightly got flogged for cheap because he was rubbish for us. But I do wonder if he was one that got away, a talent that got away, Mark. I, I think he was. I, I don't. I don't think it was rubbish either. I, I, I think he he never really got his chance under John Hollins's regime. He's with, he was with us for a couple of seasons. You know, sh- show some sort of like flashes of real inspiration. You know, nicked a few goals. But even then, when we sold him to Luton, it just seemed so cheap to sort of give him away for sort of seventy five k. He was no Pat Nevin, and obviously Pat went for a significant amount of money more. But then, as you said, when you saw a couple of years later him rocking. up, up at QPR and again I think he was made for QPR as well you know obviously I think they probably still had their plastic pitch then and I knew QPR fans and I don't think they could believe that actually Chelsea sold him yeah he really uh, turned out to be a really good player and he ended up being an American international as well yeah, I think yeah. he got US yeah I watched him at Rangers a few times a few times he was completely fabulous mm. fabulous player I, I I don't know what we this era was very peculiar mm. for for stifling people's uh Talents. Maybe John Holland um, shouldn't have played him in as a centre back, Jonathan, or whatever. Yeah, yes. Well, <laughs> what, what, there was some dreadful decision that John Holland's made, I know, that, that, and I can't remember. It was playing somebody at right back who was just completely absurd that had everybody chuntering. It was one of the worst decisions he made. 
it was just re absolutely ridiculous. And I can't remember who the player was and what the uh, uh, what the match was. So it's it's rather disastrous. I just wanted to ask a question very quickly. Um, uh, when did uh, Gaza first play for Newcastle against Chelsea? Was it um, was it the uh, two seasons before this? Because this season he went off to Spurs, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, and, and obviously, um, um, because when Newcastle in the division, I can't remember. They they uh... he certainly played against us. Um, it might have been Mark. I don't, Mark I'm going to defer to you because you your memory is unimpeachable. Yeah, we, we talked about him when we were doing last week's show. Yeah. He certainly played against us in the 87, 80, yeah, because he was the one that slipped that pass through for the penalty. I think was it Mirandina? He passed yeah. it through. Yes, yes. So M Mirandina, I, I can't remember who took. Newcastle missed the penalty. Uh, and I remember Gascoigne creating it. Um, but then I'm sure he was there the year before as well. He certainly had a couple of years at Newcastle before he went to Tottenham. I think it was the season before because there was just one game in particular where we were absolutely dreadful. I remember him being outstanding and a but, kid. I've just been amused because I, I, I read that he'd obviously... Hang on, Mark. Hang on. Hang on. Go on. Go on. He'd gone, I read that he'd gone... He'd, he, he was signed by Spurs this year, wasn't he? That was their big yeah, sign. Yeah. Go on, yeah. Mark. You were going to say. Yeah. Yeah, did, didn't he play um, against us for Spurs in the Colin Pates testimonial at the start of this season? Because Pates had his testimonial yes. you know, just before this season kicked off. And it was against Tottenham. And I'm sure Gascoigne played in that game. Yeah. Right. He just joined them. That was one of his first yeah. games for Spurs. Yeah. Was against us. I mean, and of course, Pat Nevin was given, um, uh, uh, was allowed, wasn't he, by, um, the, was it who was their manager up at uh, Everton to play in the testimonial? Chelsea for a half, would it, wasn't he? Would it still be, it still be Kendall or, or Colin Harvey taken over by I think then? Colin Harvey had taken over by then, but I'm, yeah. I'm not sure. Let's talk about Pat because, of course, this was the. I mean, I, 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 you know, I was too early, too young for Osgood. I was very upset when Ray, Ray Wilkins left Chelsea. I was just, I was tearful when Nevin left uh to go to Everton now he he got he got sold for 925 grand in the summer and and Kelvin in his wonderful book says this uh one of the great Stamford Bridge miscarriages of justice twice winner and once player of the year runner-up uh so twice winner of the player of the year and once runner-up of the player of the year only 24 24 he signed an agreement he was made to sign an agreement not to criticize the club who basically said that he'd left because he wanted to play top flight football. So, I mean, I, I haven't read the I haven't read the back end of Kelvin's book for a long while, where basically he does a huge interview with the players. So I can't remember whether or not Pat fessed up to the fact that, you know, he was sold because they wanted the money. But Mark, can you shed any more light on this awful, tragic, tragic thing that happened in my book anyway? Absolute travesty. Yeah, it, it is up there with Ray Wilkins leaving Chelsea, selling, selling Pat Nevin. And again, you know, normally you look forward to optimism at the start of the season. Strangely, I wasn't really looking forward to this season, you know, primarily not just because he got relegated, because we'd actually sold our best player. And I didn't buy into that, that he wanted um, to play in the top flight. You know, I, I do get the sense that actually, you know, it was a club decision to sell him, you know, and actually realised the 925k they got for him. I've spoken to Pat since then. Pat didn't want to leave. And I think it was just made clear to him that I think, you know, and including by Bobby Campbell, that the club wanted him to go and they wanted the money for him. So, you know, if you're not wanted at that club, you know, you will leave and you'll go to pastures new. You know, but I think one of the worst decisions we ever made was selling Pat Nevin. I think it actually stopped the club from um, taking the, the division by storm the following year. 
when they were back in the in the first division again in the top flight because the replacement i mean bless his cotton socks was was McAllister, who who tried like a you know a, a, a decent player scored some goals was tricky but nowhere near the class that nevin was and and it, you just i watched the season i have to say i was really fed up with the season i was fed up with it since nevin was sold because for me he was a, such a delight and i i went into the season not caring i was really off them um but because of what they'd done because of this and they're in the second division and i just thought and i don't think i had a ticket i didn't didn't renew my seat wow I, I was, really I, really yeah yo i was absolutely incandescent with them selling him he was he was brilliant completely brilliant player as you just anybody looks at the videos you can see him this constant beating 24 players. at the peak uh, of his powers oh, oh but as i say the very fact that McAllister is his it, it plays so often and plays in his position all right beats a few players it, the very fact I, I keep saying the very fact but he, he scores his first goal McAllister after 36 appearances for the club and you go well yeah there's the difference between him and pat he 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 was nippy he, he got you know he was in and out no difference no no comparison in class with a really top almost world-class player in pat which i think would have been proven by i think chelsea once again completely shot themselves in the foot i i, I agree with all of that i mean you you, you know my feelings about selling yeah. pat i mean possibly of, of any footballer that's walked this earth he's possibly the one that i have most identify you know you like want to identify yeah, with yeah 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 because yeah. he loved the same music as me he was a bit small and scrawny as believe it or not i was in those days uh times have changed you know, i look a bit more like like prime kerry now you know but there you I'm go i'm sorry to say i can't believe it i've got yes, pictures no, i've got pictures i can show i know you. i've seen them i've seen yeah, them but, um, the naked ones i haven't seen the naked not ones. the naked ones oh, no. they're, they're all on uh, on um snapchat obviously yeah, but of course, uh, of course, yeah. yeah i mean so i i was truly gutted but i, I you know with hindsight with 2020 hindsight I, I would offer up this which is that you know bobby campbell and i think you can tell this by who he brought in you know, he bring he brought in Graham Roberts for for four hundred seventy five grand from Rangers, and Peter Nicholas for three hundred fifty grand from Aberdeen. And you know, Graham Roberts was, uh, you know, uh, uh, I mean, savage. I mean, he no, was a thug. No he other was a way. Thug. Yeah, but he was also he was also an organizer and a leader. And he and and we'll talk about this later. But eventually, he becomes the captain and and scores those penalties. Player of the year. Player yeah. of the year. And Peter Nicholas, hugely industrious midfielder. Yeah. But the other yeah. thing. So I I think that that Campbell looked at the side and thought, you know what, you know, judging by what happened last that last season where they yes. they went down, they didn't have a lot of fight in them. Didn't yes. have a lot of aggression in them. And I think perhaps Pat was not just a casualty of that. You know, Pat Pat in a in a side that needs to fight and battle its way out of the second division might might be seen to be a luxury player. The other thing that I would say, which is something that I'll, I'll return to later, but we seem to be playing a lot, a 4-3-3, I think. I mean, you know, yes. Jury, Wilson and Dixon ultimately become the preferred front three so there's there's not a lot of the width the width is coming from the fullbacks Stevie Dorigo Clark and, Clark. and Dorigo yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so I I think that's you know Campbell basically imposed his style and his will on the side and poor yeah. old Pat was the casualty of that Mark would you would you I mean Jonathan's nodding nodding effusively which is very unlike Jonathan when I'm talking but would you would you agree with that assessment Mark I've written the very thing down here Chief. no way and I didn't I've see it, it honestly four I didn't three three where you can't see it and a Wilson <laughs> uh, Wilson Jury and and Dixon and Dorigo and Clark 
And it was just a question of all the other, all the create, none of the creatives played. No, Hazard, hardly played. Hazard was Hazard, injured, to be fair. Hazard was injured. He was, he was. But in the same way, um, uh, Wegley, as I said, Wegley didn't he get went, it. He went, he went. out. Because he, he, so he would clearly, he would create it. Sorry, Mark. I'm, I'm sorry, right, okay, finish it. your point. We've we got time. He, he created, absolutely agree. He created a team to get them out of the division. And, and, uh, and I have to say, I thought Nicholas and Roberts achieved it marvellously. Absolutely marvellously. And that's my, I'll, I'll shut up now. Okay. Promise? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, what you were going <laughs> to say? Mark. It's okay. I, I, I think there's a lot to what you were saying there, Chidge. Like, ironically, when I was watching it through yesterday, I wrote 4-3-3 down as well. And that thing that struck in my head, more often than not, when they settled on that side, it was Dixon, it was Wilson, it was Jury up front. And the three usually was a variation. You might have had a Clive Wilson or a McAllister. Yeah. yeah. But you tended to have Nicholas there, and he always had either a John Bumpstead or a Darren Wood beside it. It was a very industrious midfield. There wasn't much flair in that side. No, it, yes, it, it, Again, I do think there's probably something in that. As, as a bigger and badder decision it was a selling Pat Nevin, it might very well be. Bobby Campbell probably took a view that Nevin didn't fit into his way of playing. Because, again, again, when I spoke to Pat, you know, I think Hollins took a lot of the blame for Pat Nevin going. And when I, I spoke to Pat, I think he, he said it to me was, you know, it was a Bobby Campbell decision. Campbell was the manager at the time and Pat Nevin left Chelsea. John Hollins was long gone. You know, so I, I think there's probably, there's probably a bit of truth in what you say there, Chidge. Yeah, you know, Campbell looked at Nevin, you know, looked at Wegley and probably thought, they're not the type of players I want if I'm going to get out of this division first time round. Yeah. It just meant that the passing was no longer as crisp I mean, that's what you look back at the the um, uh, the Neil McNeil setup, and there were some fantastic moves that that you it, the ball was whipped around in a way that 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 Frank had at the beginning of this season. There's a kind of of uh, almost telepathy between some of the players. The ball just goes ping, 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 and you go, "Wow!" You don't see much of that this season. You yeah. see the ball being pumped up or thrown out. Very, very and- direct. Very, jury in particular, jury. I mean, to me, this he's completely fabulous this season, absolutely phenomenal. But, but what what I find really interesting as we as, as we we'll get there in a minute, we'll actually talk about some of the games. Promise yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. But you know what I found fascinating watching a lot of these games back was the way that um, the front. If you had a you know when when you had uh, Dixon, Wilson, and Jury playing together as a front three, you basically had three number nines playing really. And what was really interesting was the way that they would interchange. I was fascinated being reminded of the fact that you would often quite quite often find Kerry on the left beating a couple of players and putting a cross in. You know, not not just the Kerry that we remember of the Holl- of the Hollins and the Neil era who would be in the middle. You know, either either being on the end yeah. of a cross or the ball or, flicked or, on by or, Speedo, yeah, yeah or, or a foraging run. Yeah. You know, yeah. and they were a very kind of pace, power, very direct, very different style. So I totally agree with that. Um, Jury Jury was also a, a frequently left wing, yeah, power in from the left, but he had such two good feet. He was he could play. What a good player! Shame Jury he was a was. Judas, but there you go. Oh, anyway, oh, um, indeed, let's, just to cut the. A couple of other things to, to set the scene for this, uh, because one has, has uh, important uh, ramifications down the line in a few seasons' time. But uh, we needed another, or Bobby Campbell needed another assistant. So um, there were rumours that uh, Lou Macari, believe it or not, was going to give up his uh, his fish and chip shop uh, in Old Stratford Way. 
and uh, become our assistant. Uh, also, Stevie Wicks put his hat in the ring, although he'd just been sold to Spurs for 300 grand. And the funny thing about that was that I think he, he, he retired and injured out of the game before he kicked a ball for Spurs, so they spunked 300 grand up the, the, the Swanee for nothing, which makes me laugh. Insurance, though, Chidge. Yeah, there'll be that, that's true. Um, but anyway, the, the, the person who became Campbell's assistant was uh, Ian Porterfield, um, who, of course, famously scored the winning goal for Sunderland against Leeds United in the 1973 FA Cup final, for which many Chelsea fans cheered. Um, he becomes uh, Campbell's assistant. The other thing to set the scene, um, if you remember, in the last match of the season where we got relegated in the playoff against Borough, there was an almighty load of aggro although some would say it perhaps started with the Middlesbrough fans coming on the pitch but whatever the upshot of that was that the FA fined Chelsea 75 grand and ordered all of the terracing closed for the first six home matches uh, Kelvin who, who loves a conspiracy theory uh, thought that it was the FA deliberately trying to undermine Chelsea's attempt uh, at promotion but uh, Mark, do you, do you remember the hoo-ha about that at the time, over the summer? I, I do. We got a 75k fine. We got the six-match ban. And I think my thought at the time, and this this added to sort of like not looking forward you know, to the season, uh, was it was just, you know, it was just a daft decision, really, from the FA at the end of the day. Because, like, again, it's the wrong people to get punished. So you get a few idiots from Middlesbrough and a few of our idiots on, on the field. It wasn't a riot, you know, we're actually a bit of decent policing and decent shooting. It would never happen in the first place. And to have that sort of six-match ban just seemed really unfair on sort of like the great majority of Chelsea fans. And it didn't even punish the people who actually probably committed the offence in the first place because they had the same aggravation as the sort of the fans who behaved themselves. And then, you know, having to go through the process of not being able to stand on the terraces and, you know, having to get a ticket in advance. I know this is normal now, but back then it was not normal. You know, most people rocked up on the day and paid at the door and went into the ground. So, you know, one of the conditions of the FA was you had to get your tickets in advance. You know, I don't, I can't remember. I don't think there was tickets available on the day from memory. I, I no, no, I well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I seem to recall that because cause this is why I would occasionally go because you could just turn up. This is why I never even contemplate. Why would I get a season ticket? You can just turn up. You know, that's, that's what I did for the whole of the season. In fact, yeah. yeah. Well, you see, you, you, you. Now, this is what I, what I'm really keen to ask you about all this. I mean, anybody can read about the history of what happened here, but what I'm really keen to know is that I'm talking to two people here who, who for the last God knows how many seasons have been regular match goers, Mark home and away, Jonathan occasionally away. I mean, if you t- if you told the kids today, they just wouldn't believe you. But if you told the kids today, if you told us now, right, you can't go to Stamford Bridge for six the, the first six matches at home. Then, I mean, nuclear war would go off. It's just like failure to compute. Now, you've already told me, Jonathan, that you you stuck a thumb up to, uh, you, you know, basically, uh, you know, <laughs> voted with your feet anyway by not renewing your season ticket. So I know what the situation was for you. But Mark, I mean, how did you cope with this? It was awful. I have to say, it really was awful. I mean, um, did you go anyway? I mean, could you just like, because I know that you could sit in the East Stand and the West Stand, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah I, I went I went to the Blackburn Blackburn game. So like, yeah, you always go first game you see. But it was just, never, never mind the game. It was, it, was, it was awful. And, you know, I voted with my feet for a few games afterwards. I, yeah, and again, part of that, that was beginning when my praiseworthy of Ken Bates began to turn as well. Because bad enough, you know, we've got a six-match ban and the terraces are closed. But, you know, Ken saw that as clearly an opportunity. He didn't drop the prices. 
you know, yeah, and that, that was then reflected in the gates. Yeah, I always take the, the viewpoint as sort of like you know, an empty seat is nil revenue, you know. So he had his normal seat prices where they've been far better to reduce the prices. And we could have played in front of 18,000 fans. But I think the highest gate we got during that was 8,000. You know, we're talking at the moment the world of what Stamford will look like, you know, with, you know, 8,000 people in there. You know, when, if we if we go back shortly, well, it, that's what it was like at the start of the 88 90. It was awful. Well, 8,000 in that ground, no no terracing, no atmosphere, nothing. It really was, you know, a bleak start to that season. So I was doing the away games and I skipped some of the home games. It was just crap. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a good, there's a, there's an interesting thing here. And I, and I, I wonder, well, I mean, you kind of asked the question brilliantly. It was awful being in there with that little atmosphere and only about 8,000 people there. But, I wonder if it had an effect on the beginning of the season because we lost our first game to Blackburn at home, 2-1. We drew away against Palace. We lost 1-0 away to Bournemouth. We drew 1-0 with Oxford at home and we drew 1-0 with Barnsley away. And then, you know, our succession of games without a win carried on when we played Man City at home and 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 got absolutely humped i say humped 3-1 because it it, it for, to all intents and purposes what it, it it seemed a bit of a humping really um so do you think jonathan that uh, well i mean i'll ask this to both of you but jonathan first do you think the fact that we weren't allowed any fans in the shed uh really made a difference to our performance because we had a horrible start and i have to say it's it, it's interesting again watching the season review because you, you can hear a pin drop in the ground for those first six games and then in the you know, you, you suddenly realise what a difference, actually. People, you know, it's really interesting. You talk to a lot of ex-players and they say, well, they were so far away that we couldn't hear them. Or they say, oh, yeah, yeah, it was already loud, depending on who you ask. But actually, just watching the, the, the season review, you could see what a difference it made when a full shed end was was there. And it, it made a huge difference to the noise. So do you of think course. it affected the performances? Um, I, I think the... The beginning of the uh, of the season was the the team hadn't been together very long, and uh, they played a Blackburn side that they'd beaten easily in the playoffs the season before, but who had Howard Gale playing for them, who of course had won a uh, European Cup final with Liverpool, but uh, I think had been pushed out similarly by Paul Canneville because of racism, who was an absolutely terrific player, and uh, he scored twice for them, and I just think they were. They were new coming into it. He had Roberts playing for the first time and it was like a sucker punch. Uh, but obviously not having anybody in there um, is going to be strange, um, uh, particularly since the shed is such a, makes so much noise, uh, always make so much noise, even in a, a crowd, in a, in a ground where they were so far away from the action. Um, but um, uh, I think also the, the fact, as you were saying, Mark, that they, that he, he missed a trick or whether he deliberately deliberately missed a trick by not giving all the seats out as a, at a cheaper price to get more people in. It's kind of typical Ken Bates, really. So um, consequently, everybody who was in, the, the few people in the stands were season ticket holders who never made any noise anyway. So that... Uh, uh, because nothing the East changed stands, then. No, nothing's <laughs> changed. Exactly. It's what they were. That's the point. It was the East Stand. You know, there's no, nobody. East stand, said, East stand, give us a song. <laughs> yeah, give us, yeah, go. Don't, don't give us a song as usual. Um, uh, but um, yeah, so it, he really, but uh, it makes sense because that's not the kind of thing. Well, I'll just make an observation about Ken Bates. He's, he's interviewed in the, um, in the, uh, in the season review. 
And I hadn't realized that at that period, which was um, in the 80s, he's trying to do um, uh, slightly Cockney man or, or regional man being posh. I don't know if you'd noticed this. He, he slightly speaks a bit like that. He just has a little voice. He's slightly been trying to be posh with his uh, pronunciations with the, uh, with the interviewer, which I thought was sort of ludicrously revealing that rather than being the bluff Ken that he becomes, he's still he's still teasing his way in a little bit. But that business, as, as you say, Mark, of, of not allowing people cheaply to go and sit in the seats is absolutely typical Ken, really, for me. So, Mark, what, what about you? I mean, do you think it had a dramatic effect on the performances? Because, we, we, you know, we had a really poor start. As I said, we, we didn't win, and we'll talk about the, the, the first run of the season in a minute. But, you know, as, as I said, there were like, what, one, two, three, three defeats and three draws. And we, in fact, I think, actually, before the Leeds game, we were 20th in the table uh, with three points, which is pretty crap when you're expected to go straight back up. It didn't help. Uh... Um, I, I don't think it was a sole thing to blame for that poor start, because actually how I remember it, um, like in that Blackburn game, as bad as the atmosphere was, I thought on the day we were the better side. And I think the Blackburn goalkeeper, I'm trying to remember, was it Terry Geno? Yes, was in goal for Blackburn. had a and blinder. I, he had an absolute blinder. Yeah. And again, I think one of the goals, um, McLaughlin made a sort of fundamental error, and then obviously the crowd got on his back. Yeah, I think he gave a V sign to the crowd. So... We threw the game away. I think we had enough chances in that Blackburn game to one. So that was just depressing. You're losing the first game against the side who had beaten a couple of months earlier in the playoffs. Yeah, and they had better players in the playoff. Yeah, they had our dealers and Archibald, as we talked about last time. Neither yeah. of them were playing this time around. And you know, we, we played Palace and Bournemouth afterwards. And I went both to Palace and Bournemouth game. And again, in both those games, again, I thought we were the better side. Palace, we missed the penalty, which cost us the game. And then the Bournemouth side, I think Bournemouth managed by Harry Redknapp back then. You know, Peter Nicholas actually had this one shot, I think blinding shot from memory, from about 30 yards out. You know, almost like Gavin Peacock-like from the 94 Cup final. Uh, and then Bournemouth, I think, got a late, a late winner. And again, I couldn't believe we'd lost to Bournemouth because I thought we were the better side. So we, were, we weren't playing too badly, certainly you know, away from home. But at home... I don't think the atmosphere helps, shall we say. You know, but again, we've seen recently with you know, um, Project Restart, players can play decent football in empty stadiums. And you know, it got better as the weeks went by, but having that six-week ban did not help. And I mean, as I said, the City game was, was very disappointing, wasn't it? Colin Pates uh, opens up the scoring on nine minutes with a brilliant, brilliant uh, volleyed uh, goal from kind of on the edge of the penalty area with his trusty left foot, and then it all fell apart. But the City scored on 43 minutes, 50 minutes, and 77 minutes. We just kind of capitulated, really. Yeah, they, they were probably, you know, um, going to be the competition with us, you know, to get, to get back up that, that season. So that was an early sort of like, you know, important game. And again, that's then reflected where not having the crowd, you know, put Chelsea at disadvantage. You know, the crowd for that game, Chelsea, Man City, even back then, you know, I know we weren't getting the crowds we get now, but that would have been twenty odd thousand, and there was eight thousand people at that game as well. We never went above eight thousand in any of these opening half a dozen games. You know, it was real hardcore support for those games. Yeah, that's um, eight, eight, just shy of nine thousand for for arguably one of the biggest games of the season. Uh, Jonathan, there's just a, a point. I I, I I I think I attended the first game of the season, but not my season ticket. I bought a ticket in the East Stand. Was the the um, the, the Blackburn player? Uh, was it Hildersley? 
uh, who was um, every time he got the ball, uh, the, the Hovis ad was on the box at the time. And everybody <laughs> shouted out, everybody sang. Da, 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 da. Yeah, yes, exactly. But <laughs> uh, once again, I love that you get the odd moment where they get it absolutely right. Some of the fa- some of the fans. That was Brilliant. just it. Brilliant. Fantastic. Uh, there we go. Uh, now, it does all change. Um, and actually, funny enough, Ken Bates alludes to this in his... Uh, uh, you know, almost professionally made season review video, actually. But you, sometimes you need a bit of luck to get your season going. And uh, this is exactly what we got in our next match against our bitter rivals, uh, Leeds United up at Ellen Road, managed by Billy Bremner, would you believe? Uh, Mark, dare I ask, were you there? Well, actually, this was the first away game of the season. I missed I was No. I, I checked it. I was in Paris. Whoa. Because... I remember the game. Uh, I was in Paris. I went to see Iron Maiden in Paris that weekend. <laughs> Murder <laughs> yeah, on the Rue Morgue. Exactly. Murders on the Rue Morgue in Paris. So I, I was looking at, I, I remember us, you know, winning out there. And I thought, why wasn't that that game? And then I checked today. You know, and I, I actually, because I keep a record of all the gigs I go to, you know, so I actually checked and thought, yeah, that's why I wasn't at Leeds United. Yeah. Well, uh, before this match, uh, we'd had only uh, one win in nearly... Well, one league win in nearly 11 months. Uh, uh, but basically what happened, and if you, if you watch the highlights, you'll see this, but, you know, Noel Blake headed, uh, the ball comes in from the right, Noel Blake head, heads it across the goal to get it away from danger. And it and it literally hits Bumstead's heel, Johnny B's heel, goes into the net. Uh, so we, we go one nil up, which is wonderfully fortuitous. And then, uh, Can Duke, I take issue with you there, Chid? Do you don't think I it was thought, his heel? I thought Johnny B did a scorpion kick kicked uh, well, it yeah okay he did a pedro yeah fair enough i i thought well ask i i fat i do you know what when i interviewed him i stupidly didn't ask him, him i know i tell so you he what just said yes yeah matter, i know it's it's, yes. it's really annoying i, I you know I, it just shows you how badly researched i was when i did i just winged him basically or just made up the questions if i'd have done all these interviews with the likes of patesy bummers Kerry, you name it. Having done the, this series, it, the, these interviews, they're still well. Don't, don't, you know, don't let that put you off. They're, they're still very, very, very good. Very, very good. They're, a, they're a sniff of two ninety nine each, but I do regret it. I have to say, but there you go. Um, Jukebox uh, then scores on thirty one minutes, and basically we get our our first win of the season. Which of course we then, being Chelsea, managed to um, lose four one to uh, Scunthorpe away. I, I almost, I was going to say the, the classic Scunthorpe joke, but it's not really one for broadcasting. Who put the something into Scunthorpe? Well, I can tell you that it was Dawes who scored two goals, Stevenson and Taylor. Uh, that was a Littlewoods Cup. Um, but then we have Leicester at home. And in a sense, Mark, this is where our, our, our season really gets going. And the lovely thing about this, um, anybody who's ever met him, as I'm sure you have, Mark, uh, it's such a lovely guy. David Lee uh, makes his debut, known as Rodders to all Chelsea fans because of his uncanny resemblance to Nicholas Lindhurst uh, from uh, Only Fools and Horses. Um, and actually, you know, David's on uh, he's on Twitter. Rodders is on Twitter these days, and he always he'll always engage with Chelsea fans. And I know he's gone into hospital recently for for uh, an op. I'm not quite sure for what, but uh, our thoughts are with David. He's a lovely, lovely bloke. So yeah, he makes his his debut, Mark, doesn't he? And and he scores on his debut against Leicester. Not not just scores on his debut, he turns the game. Yes. Because um, clearly you think we've had no luck at home so far. Um, we're playing Leicester. Jimmy Quinn scores for Leicester on the 68th minute. 
Yeah, so you know, here we go again, another disappointing home performance. And Campbell brings Lee on at that present moment in time, takes off Darren Wood. So, you know, so, so David Lee comes on, and within a couple of minutes, he's got the equaliser. You know? uh, and then you know, in the 90th minute game, so we're heading for a one-all draw. And I don't know, was he fouled to get to win the penalty? He certainly he played was. a role. He was. he was. Yeah, he certainly played a role in winning the penalty. You know, so he actually turned that game around in the last half hour, scores a goal, wins the penalty. And then the one thing about Graham Roberts, he might be many things, but he could take a mean penalty. I think he only missed one all season from memory. You know, so Roberts just blasts it in. And that, as you say, began to be the turning point for the season from, from there on in. Well, I won't ruin the story and say how many matches we then go on to win and not lose before the end of the season, but I'll tease you by saying it's not very many. Um, that really, as I said, I mean, that 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 is the match that kind of really marks our change in fortune. Well, Leeds was the match that marks our change in fortunes, but we continued it on and we didn't really lose many from then on. And it, it was kind of the foundation for this charge back to Division One. Uh, of course, we then play Scunthorpe again afterwards. Uh, in the Littlewoods Cup, not really much hope of uh, of um, uh, you know of, of turning it over. You would have thought, being four one down, we ended up drawing two all. But I think the notable thing about this match, Mark, really, is the fact it was uh, Colin Pate's uh, last match for the club, wasn't it? Yeah, ne- never saw that one coming. Yeah, really did not see that one coming. He he was back in back in the side, um, playing well. You know, you know. Final appearance could not have predicted that we actually sold him the next day. Yeah, you know, so it was that quick, you know, from playing in the Scunthorpe two-all draw to selling the next day. Yeah, um, can we just rewind? The other thing I was going to mention because we talked about in the beginning the game before Scunthorpe we played Swindon Town, mm. um, uh, and what was fascinating about the game at the county ground went, went to it, and obviously Macari had turned us down in the summer or probably played us along. Yeah, because he ended up taking the Swindon Town job rather than being um, Bobby Cambridge's mayor. The amount of abuse Macari got at that game for turning Chelsea fans. Chelsea fans got long memories. You know, the Chelsea fans that day, you know, gave stick to Macari the whole game. You know, for not taking the you know the assistance job. I think he did at the home game as well, Mark. If I remember, yeah. I think he, I think because yeah. and I was I had a seat back in the East Stand then, which I bought. And below, he was abused by the East Stand non-stop for the for the home game. Quite right too. Yeah. Uh, but that, again, Pate's, as you say, Pate's going a bit, a bit, a bit like you know Pat Nevin going. You know, you know, very very sad to see him go. Great servant to Chelsea. Um, and we'll hear from Colin actually in a minute when you know from the Chelsea special interview that I did. Uh, with him, as I have done with many many others like Kerry and Johnny B. Canners. Uh, John Boyle, Tommy Baldwin, Chopper, you name it. Loads and loads of great interviews. If you want to get uh, listen to some of these interviews, and I, I, you know, if you like the clips that we're putting into this 50 Years series, then, then it really is worth listening to the whole interviews. They are available at chelseaspecial.podbeam.com. chelseaspecial.podbeam.com, and they're £2.99 each. If you just go to chelseaspecial.podbeam.com, you can find out how to download them. It's all really, really simple, but they're worth it. Just, I also want to reel back before we play the Colin Pates uh, clip, uh, Mark, because I've just noticed something in the Swindon match. And actually, I, I remember hearing it in the commentary from the uh, season review. Uh, a certain person uh, made his uh, debut on the substitutes bench for Chelsea as a teenager that day. A certain mate of mine, Mr. Jason Mr. Cundy. Yeah. How yeah, about... He, he, Go on. he was on the bench a few times that season. I don't think he actually got on in, in a game that year. 
I think he played in the Colin Pate's testimonial. I think he had a subs appearance there. But if I'm right, I don't think you know, he actually played any minutes during the 88-9 season. I think he made his league debut proper the next season. I, I absolutely have you right with that, which is why I was surprised to hear it. Because I looked at, looking down at the squad, he wasn't even listed in the squad of people who had played. And I think that's a bit of a shame, really, because in the, in the place where I get that information, they also note down subs appearances. And for example, Graham Lasseau made one maybe it's because he didn't get on so therefore that's why he didn't get mentioned but uh, well done jace that was his kind of debut of being on the bench against swindon anyway i was blathering on about that um let's hear from colin pate about what he thought about uh getting sold to charlton i'll tell you what it was was i got injured had a cartilage injury yeah so i had my car cartilage sorted out trimmed and everything and was ready to come back um and I just felt though that that, that season mm. I could have just had having the rest of it off and then starting afresh the following season. But the club was in trouble. Yeah. You know, so I was asked to play, so I did, you know, and, and but obviously I hadn't played in a long time and wasn't fit. But we were put in a position where, you know, we were limited staff, um, we had a lot of injuries. So Bobby Campbell asked me to come back and play. Yeah. So I did. You know what? You, what am I going to do? I'm not going to say no. Um, so I did. But did I do myself justice? I think I did in a couple of the games. But my knee was still very, very sore. Well, I was going to ask you that because I mean they sold you in about October, uh, didn't they? That year, that season, yeah. that next season, Bobby sold you to Charles for 400, yeah. 400 grand. Yeah. A lot of us have never forgiven him for that. I've got to be honest, Colin. But <laughs> it. it that's what I don't understand. I mean, yeah, you might not have been at your best. You were coming back from a nasty injury, you know. So, why why did they send you? Well, I spoke to Bob. Why were they not patient? Well, Bobby never really mentioned it, to be fair. I mean, he brought in Graham Roberts. Yeah. And I think they had this kind of thing where... I mean, I spoke to Bobby. You know, got arrested. Yeah. Uh, Lovely man. Yeah, I mean, but when I spoke to Bobby, we both kind of, like, knew we'd fallen out during that era. But we, when we saw each other, we kind of made it quite clear that we felt no malice between the two of us. He was the one that gave me this job here. Really? Yeah. How and so that? it just shows you, you know, like... No, there no was, grudge. There wasn't anything there, you know. Yeah. People wanted to make it out. And I, I think I might have been quoted of saying some stuff, you know, about it now. He didn't like me and he didn't do this and he didn't do that. But that was true, you know. He, he, I think he... He felt that Graham Roberts was a better option. That's his call. Um, yeah, and yeah. he was the manager, and I'd been there a long time and, and needed a change. Yeah. I didn't feel like that, but when you're when you're told that, you know, I, I played against Scunthorpe, I think I did, and I scored as well. Last match. Yeah, and I scored, I think. And as I came into the changing room, Bobby said, "Lenny Lawrence is upstairs, waiting for you." So I said, "Lenny Lawrence," and he said, "Yeah." He said, Charlton want to sign you. We've agreed terms. If you can agree terms with Lenny, um, then you're allowed, you're allowed to leave. And I've sat there for about 10 minutes, and I looked at a couple of my teammates, and I went, it's quite obvious that the club yeah, doesn't want, want me. Yeah. So like, I, and rather than drag it out, I thought, you know what? I love this club, but I've got to go. You've got to go. So I went to see Lenny. First thing Lenny said to me was, "Look, by letting me speak to you, it's obvious that they don't they don't want you to stay. Um, so I'm going to offer you terms, and if you if you like them, 
and come on board. Then come on board. So I did, um, and I signed, and I had two great years at Charlton. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, as Mark was saying, a very sad loss. Uh, Colin was a great servant to Chelsea, and it, it was a really sad way, I think, for an exceptional career at Chelsea to end as well. Um, but every every cloud uh, has a silver lining. But before that, Jonathan's got his hand up. Thank you very much, Chidge. I, I just wanted to say that I think uh, this fitted with the way that Campbell wanted to play because um, he, he didn't have m- much meat on him, did he, um, young uh, Pates? And he'd been playing in midfield occasionally. And I think he wanted somebody a little bit more stereotypical. I mean, the more you look at this side, the more you think... He, he likes a bit of steel, does Campbell. He likes a bit of solidity. And I think he wanted a bigger player because he was after Ken Moncal. Well, that's, that's the point. I mean, you know, that was the silver silver lining I was talking about because it's effectively Ken Moncal was the replacement for Colin Pates. And yeah. Ken was who's a great a, player for us. Larger and more dominant in the air. Mm. And uh, I think that, may, I think he was, like Pat, I think he was sacrificed for... Um, for this view, which is fair enough, if the manager has a view of how he wants things to be done, but but of course, uh, um, Colin Pate's abilities were then rewarded by being um, signed by Arsenal, weren't they? Subsequently, yeah, from Charlton, yeah. so they were very aware of what a really decent player he was. I think, I think so it was an interesting period just for seeing how players would come and go from the side who we looked at as fans and thought, "Blimey, they're really good," and yet somehow didn't fit into the plan that the manager had. So consequently, what fell by the wayside uh, and, and didn't make sense. But nonetheless, I suppose he, you can't criticise um, Campbell because he achieved what he wanted was to get out of that division uh, um, easily. And they did it. So, you know, I think, you know, again, 2020 hindsight and, and interesting listening to what Colin was saying there, you know, I think we wrote him off a bit too early, although I, I absolutely take your point, J.K. I think Campbell wanted to play a particular way. And, you know, and I, I remember saying this to Colin in the interview that, that you know, I, I always remember him as a really classy uh, central defender, really. And actually, yeah, yeah, but he was kind of a man way before his time. He's the kind of central defender that most, you know, top elite managers are, are in search of. They want a ball-playing, calm absolutely centre-half. And I said he would have been brilliant for us now, but, you know, Absolutely he was a bit right. man out of his time. But I think he was... I mean, the other thing was, because he had those niggling injuries that he'd picked up, you know, the last season. He was out in and out, and maybe that's why also Campbell decided to get rid of him, you know. But as you say, he came back and played for Arsenal at a time when Arsenal were a decent side, so you can't argue with that now. But at the same time, I thought that McLaughlin, um, who had a very good second half of the season, was prone to error in a way that Pates wasn't. So uh, I even think that McLaughlin was a, was a kind of uh, standby. Well, he, uh, he got a lot of stick, actually. And I, and I want did. to ask you both about this. I mean, the context of this was, um, Mark alluded to this earlier on, um, after handballing against uh, uh, Blackburn in the, in the first home game. Um, basically, the, the background to this was that his son, his baby boy, was very ill and subsequently died, which is all very, very sad. Um, he also loses the captaincy uh, after that game, which gets handed to Graham Roberts. That might have had something to do with the fact that his mind wasn't on the game. But he got a lot of stick from Chelsea fans for a long time. Why did he get so much stick, JK? Um, I think it's because he was so inconsistent. I think that was the trouble. You know, he, 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 the odd own goal didn't help. I mean, Graham Wilkins never um, um, found great favour by 
own goals. It, it's, yeah, but we we, we, kind of we love Frank Franklin Frank Sinclair, and he's probably the greatest own goal scorer of all time. There was a difference, there wasn't. I think he was playing in a better team, Frank. But no, also what we loved about Frank was that Frank would do something marvelous and beat somebody or beat two players and then give the ball away immediately. There was a kind of of humor about Frank because Frank was such a great trier. Um, and he, uh, which is like difference. Whereas McLaughlin always came across as being slightly surly. The very fact that he would he would respond to being given the bird by by giving a V sign to the crowd was. Uh, doesn't doesn't go down well with the fans, I'm afraid, and um, uh, and he did have nightmarish games. He, there was a, some extremes. In some occasionally, he would be absolutely awful, and we'd say, I don't know why, you know that 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 cliche of somebody saying, you know, get him off all the time, get him off, get that McLaughlin off, was a regular thing that I heard with him. Um, and then, but so in a sense, his his improvement then wasn't rewarded because we we. You, you know, somebody gets set up as being he's not good enough for the side and it's difficult for some fans to uh, to to persuade themselves uh, differently, you know. Mm. So I think that was it. He would have nightmarish performances from time to time and score an own goal, mm. you know. Mark, what say you? Yeah, um, I, I felt a bit sorry for Joe McLaughlin because although, as Jonathan said, like he had the odd rick in him, um, yeah, he made that one mistake in the Blackburn game and obviously he did make mistake of putting the, the V sign up um, but you know, I think over his whole Chelsea career him and Pates were a very good defensive partnership yeah yeah so to actually fans got on his back just you know so quick I thought it was really harsh at the time and I think the other thing tying into the Pates transfer um, McLaughlin didn't play for quite a while after that Blackburn game as, as you said like you know he had you know um, a bereavement to deal with and he came straight back into the side, you know, after Colin Pates had gone. So whether or not, you know, Bobby Cameron was ready to return, and that's why he was willing to say sell Pates, because he had a ready-made replacement to go straight into the side Graham Roberts. Mm. There we go. Well, it's good to, good to know. Um, right, moving along uh, with the, uh, you know, the timeline, as, as it were. Uh, just a couple of things, actually, before we get back into that. One of the things that I ought to have said was that I wonder how much our improved form had something to do with the fact that both Tony DiRigo and Kerry Dixon, who had started the season out injured, had come back into the side. Uh, and the other thing, as I said, you know, we, we started to play Dixon, Jury and Kevin Wilson up front. Um, now, the fans returned. Uh, the ban, uh, you know, had finished uh, by the uh, Chelsea-Plymouth match, which was on the 22nd of October, 1988. And uh, I wonder if it had something to do with the fact that uh, we beat, we absolutely walloped for, uh, Plymouth 5-0 actually, but um, the interesting thing here was that both Dixon and uh, Jury got on the score sheet, kind of, you know, saying, you know, well, as I said, you know, basically we started with Dixon, Jury and Kevin Wilson up front, so I'm wondering if my theory is bearing some fruit here, Mark. Mark? Earth to Mark! <laughs> Three-pronged attack of, of those three, and I think by the end of the season, I think they end up with sort of like six, sixty or so goals. You know that partnership really gelled up front. You know, and we began to hit form, and we were consistently winning. You know, um, and I think soon, soon afterwards that the stadium reopens to fans, and we open with a five-nil win. So, yeah, things were, we were beginning to turn the corner. Yeah, we certainly are, and, and I think that I... that game underlines it, doesn't it, J.K.? Yeah, can I talk about Kevin Wilson just for a second? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
had, had taken a bit of time to get into the side the year before and settle down, but um, really came of age this this season. A lovely, tricky, nippy little player. Um, very delicate lobs he used to to score goals with just little picking the goalkeeper coming out to the edgy area and lifting it over him um, uh, and setting people up a lot. Interesting to see how many assists he had this season. Um, uh, uh, I became a big fan of his. They were a very, very, very potent force, those three together. Very, very good players, all three of them. But um, The other thing about Kevin Wilson, I think other than Graham Roberts, I think he, he played the most games that season. He was virtually ever present during the course of that season, Kevin Wilson. So he played a really important role in that promotion campaign. Yeah, I definitely second that. Um, so we wallop Plymouth 5-0. Uh, and then, of course, typically our next match, you would have thought, well, we're on a high here. We're now up to fifth, by the way. So we've, we've be, you know, our form has improved to the extent we've really, really gone up the table. We then go to uh, uh, what was in those days, Booth Ferry Park, play Hull. Of course, we lose 3-0, you know, typical Chelsea. Um, but I have to say that is the uh, there are two hugely brilliant uh, runs uh, in the season. I think one of them is after losing to Hull on the twenty fifth of October. Uh, we don't lose another game until the seventh of January, where we and it, which was actually in the cup. Uh, so we didn't actually lose a game in the league uh, from the twenty ninth of uh, October, which is when we played Brighton right all the way to the end of the season, pretty much, when we played uh, West Brom. Well, the next one we lost was Leicester at home, and that was the only one. So this gives you an idea of how phenomenal uh, our form turned around and became during that season. A couple of matches I want to pick out from, really, uh, Mark, between, uh, you know, the uh, the Hull match and, and the end of the year. The real, the real ding dong with Pompey, which actually was a really important match because uh, I think top spot was uh, uh, up for grabs. They were also in the top five at the time, and and then the Birmingham match, which actually left us on top after winning it uh, the Friday before Christmas. What are your what are your memories of the Pompey match? A uh, bit of a crazy game. We we go two 0 up, so we're in a good position, and that was reflected on a good run of form we're in. I think the previous week we'd gone and won 3-0 at Stoke City with 10 men because Nicholas got sent off. So we're in a rich vein of form. But then we allow Pompey back into the game, you know, and they go 3-2 ahead. You know, and, and then I think Kevin Wilson saves our skins you know, with, with, with the third goal. Absolutely crazy game. Um, so, you know, yeah, we had the chance to sort of like, you know, you know, continue the winning run, but we were probably lucky to get a point in the end. So uh, the, other, the other game I want to mention before, before that is we actually played Shrewsbury a couple of weeks before that in, in the middle of that good run. Um, and you know, if people watch this online, and please do go in and watch it, you'll see Doug Rugby playing for Shrewsbury. <laughs> yes. And there's this moment in the game where Doug Rugby, bless him, nearly scores for Chelsea. You know, with with an own goal, and, and I thought that, that sharp and take your breath, thinking like you know, Doug's replicating his Chelsea form for the opposition this time. <laughs> I mean, you know. And he then there was another. He was playing for Mark. He just suddenly yeah. thought, "I better put the ball in the goal." You know, <laughs> that's what I used to do when I was playing for Chelsea. Yes. There's another. There's another sweet moment in this game, and um, that Mickey Thomas comes back to Stamford Bridge 
playing for Shrewsbury, and he gets applauded every time he touches the yes. ball. Yes, yes. Yes. And the, the reception, and I just, those things like stick in my mind from that time. You know, people really miss Mickey Thomas. He just gave him an absolutely brilliant reception yes. you know, for the whole of those 90 minutes. I was one of those, absolutely. Every single time he got the ball. Absolutely right. Excellent stuff. Well, uh, as I said, the uh, Friday before uh, uh, Christmas, the last Friday before Christmas, we played Birmingham City away, struggling Bur- uh, Birmingham side, and we walloped them. 4-1 to go top. Uh, jury Dixon, Jury Dixon. There you go. Love the wonderful uh, double D duo up front. It's nice to have double D up front, JK, isn't it? <laughs> Would be foolish to have it behind, well, wouldn't it? Really? Well, like, like me these days, I think. But anyway, <laughs> um, I just say that I felt that 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 Ruby, that, Ruby, uh, that uh, Gordon Jury he always struck me as being like a slightly highly tuned racehorse. So that's, there was a kind of diva quality to him. Because he's always getting injured, he was always smashing into things and coming off, and uh, with uh, holding his shoulder a lot. I remember he was always walked walked to the to the touchline holding his shoulder, but at the same time, you you forgave him just because it, the the speed that he got to the ball. I keep going on about him, but he was uh, he was very impressive this season. I think partly because the opposition was nowhere nowhere near as good as um, uh, as first division sides, but. Uh, he was rewarded, wasn't he? He got selected for the Scots, the Scots squad again. Rightly so. Absolutely phenomenal season he had. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Cheech. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chich, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. (laughs) It's all too much. (laughs) I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Ah, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK, and best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy, I could cry. (laughs) Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Well, we carry it on. We stay top. We beat Ipswich at home uh, 3-0. Rodders gets another goal, as do Jury and Dixon. And then on New Year's Eve, uh, we get West Brom at home, which proves to be quite a, a crunch match, this one. I mean, in, in the interviews that the players were giving in the... In the uh, um, 
you know, in the season review, Mark, uh, Graham Roberts uh, was on and uh, he scored uh, another penalty in the last minute, really, to, I mean, ridiculous, uh, ridiculous uh, handball, I think. I'm, th- I'm sure it was this match, wasn't it? I could be wrong. I'm maybe I'm, I'm getting I'm getting it mixed up, I think, with the... Uh... No, I'm not. I am getting this right. No, I am getting this right. It was a cross that um, got really in 88th minute, which got... Uh... Handled by yeah, the, Brian the, the skipper, who yeah, who was completely distraught, walked to the ed, ed, edge of the penalty area in despair. But he'd actually obviously handled it. He had a mental moment. I don't know. Brain fart, then, mate. We all have them. And then Roberts did his brilliant penalty roof of the net. He was so consistent. It was fabulous. Well, it's funny, fabulous isn't it? We've penalty. been talking for the last few weeks about how utterly shit Chelsea have been at penalties for about the last five years, going through about five or six yeah. different penalty yeah. takers, even Kerry yeah. missing them. And finally... Yeah. We get this absolute legend of a penalty taker. Machine. Uh, he, Machine was, he was brilliant. Quality. The reason why Brian Talbot was, was distraught was because this was a top-of-the-table clash. Had uh, had West Brom won this match, they would have gone above us. Uh, as it was, we drew and uh, and we stayed in top position. Uh, although We, we then... almost signed um, Ian Dowie at this Well, period. I was going to, yeah, I put that in the notes because I had no knowledge of this. Mark, do you remember anything about that? Yeah, I do. I do remember us going for Dowie. It's like Bobby Campbell had some strange scouts working for him because I think Ian Dowie at this time, was he at Hendon, I think? Because I think yeah, Luton yeah. Town bought Dowie. But Ian Dowie, because I used to go and watch Hendon you know, when I was a kid and even as a teenager. So I'm sure Ian Dowie was at Hendon. So I, I, I knew of Ian Dowie, you know. Um, uh, but yeah, that was a strange one. And then obviously we'll talk later about him signing David Mitchell. So I don't know what his scouts were up to, but a very strange choice going going for Dowie, especially when you look how our forward line was doing at that present moment in time. I think the other thing I'd say about that West Brom game, it was an excellent game. They were they were a good side. Yeah, and I remember going to the pub afterwards. I think we were drinking in the Harwood Arms by then before it became a gastro pub. I remember just getting back to the Harwood Arms and everyone was just relieved that Roberts got us that equaliser because people were saying, do you know what? That's a good West Brom side. You know, we, we, we clawed that one back today they could easily have beaten us they were that good that day mm, interesting stuff well uh we start the new year off with a win on the 2nd of january with a 3-2 win uh against oxford uh kerry scores a couple scores a brace uh which means he scores he's scored 14 goals in 22 games thus far which makes it mark rather odd does it not with you know this vaunted uh three-pronged attack as we keep alluding to of jury dixon and uh, and Wilson, why on earth would he want to buy David Mitchell, who's Australian apart from anything else? Strange, strange decision, you know. Uh, and and again, um, I was there when David Mitchell made his debut. Um, it was against Forest in whatever it was called then. Was it similar the cup. cup by then? Similar cup by then. And I think the only thing I remember David Mitchell doing at that that game was getting in Kerry's way. I think you know, Kerry barges him out of the way to sort of score our, our equalising goal. And you just thought, you know, we'd read sort of the reports that Bobby Campbell's son had been watching him for Feyenoord and Feyenoord, decent Dutch side. And this guy was something special. But he only played half a dozen times. I think I must have seen him in all of those games. And I think, I think the last time he turned out for us was Plymouth away. And you just thought, why have we bought this guy? It was a strange choice. Yeah. He was indeed. Um, prior to losing 4-1 to uh, Forrest in the uh, wonderful Simod Cup, uh, we'd actually got humped by Barnsley 
uh, away uh, 4-0 in the first round of the FA Cup. So basically our, our cup was not running over this season, which is a shame because I think that we were, I mean, you know, we were, I think the overall kind of feeling that I, we were a first division team playing in the second division, bottom line. So I think we would have been capable of a good cup run. It's a shame we, we norsed it up. But talking of buys, I think a very, very significant buy uh, was made soon after when uh, we signed Dave Besant from Newcastle for seven hundred and twenty-five grand. Um, I, I mean, I, I, you know, history proves that he proved to be a really, really good signing. But what I think is most fascinating, if one, if one takes us back to that time, is that since Eddie Neddy, you know, we hadn't really had a decent goalkeeper at all. Uh, we'd had real trouble with them. Uh, Kevin Hitchcock always getting injured. Roger Freestone or Twenty Three Stone, as Cundy calls him was raw and therefore a bit unreliable. Um, you know, Besson was a proper keeper, wasn't he, Mark? A uh, really big signing that was. I think, was it Freestone was nicknamed Tombstone as, as well? And <laughs> well, Cundy, Cundy calls him Roger 20 Freestone. Um, but the two games before, and I think, well, well, that was the catalyst for Campbell to go out and buy a goalkeeper. It led four in, in two successive games, four against Forest and four against Barnsley. And then a couple of days later, you know, Campbell has splashed out the money on Besson. And I think if there was a danger of being a wobble in that season, that would have been the moment there. So I think that was quite an astute move. And Besson was a good goalkeeper. Uh, and I think that was just making damn sure there was no danger of us blowing our promotion. And he played a key part in the latter part of the season. He'd only just signed for Newcastle, hadn't he, at the beginning of the season? I think they were in some kind of financial difficulties. To the, yep. the fact that they could get him so soon after his signing for them, because he, he didn't really have a, have a he, he didn't make any impression on them at all. No, so, I, I uh, think he was. Yeah, I think he only played about half a season at Newcastle. He yeah. won the cup before the year, well, the season before, hadn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> uh, saved a penalty from John Aldrich. Oh, how we laughed. Um, I mean, it's interesting in the book, isn't it, actually, Jonathan? In, in, and by the way, time to royally plug Kelvin's wonderful book, which is Celery Representing Chelsea in the 80s. You can still get it on Amazon. But um, he says in the book that he, th- he thought it was as significant a buy uh, as Mickey Thomas had been in our promotion season, yeah. you know, in 83, 84. And I think that's a, that's a really, really good point, actually. And as Mark says, you know, Dave Besson steadied the ship at the back, gave us that. It just shows you how important it is getting a a goalkeeper in who you can rely on, who you can feel comfortable with at the back. Yeah, I, I would agree, and we're seeing that now. You know, Besson brought stability. You know, there was a decent defence in front of him, but you know, Kevin Hitchcock that season had had you know injury problems, so Roger Freestone was pretty much the number one goalkeeper, and he was prone to the odd error. You know, so again. You know, I would agree with Kelvin there. It is probably as crucial as Mickey Thomas was in, in the John Neal promotion side, getting Dave better. Now, uh, Darren Wood gets sold to Sheffield Wednesday. Here's the question. Why Why did Darren Wood get so much stick? I don't think he was that bad a player, actually, but he, he seems to have got a lot of stick, JK. Um, well, in the same way that Peter Housen was called Mary, and uh, I don't know why he got so much stick, because he was a terrific player. Um, poor old Darren Wood was called Sharon. So it's almost as if you, you, uh, you somehow impose your your view of him by making him um, turning him into a female, which is slightly unfair to say the least, and uh, unbelievably um, non PC in these current times. But he was um, um, he was a pretty boy, and uh, uh, he, he he did himself no favors by being 
um, very talented in, in a lot of positions because he played fullback, midfield, left and right. Um, I don't think he played striker ever, but uh, um, I almost feel that players, that the fans like to associate a player with a particular position. And uh, if somebody starts proving their versatility, it doesn't quite fit with the stereotype. So uh, um, I, have, I have to say, as a player, he didn't make a great impression on me. And perhaps I've fallen into the same trap because I never quite worked out what position he played. So um, uh, I never thought, oh, good, Darren Wood's playing in the same way that I bizarrely did whenever Jerry Murphy played. I thought, oh, good, Murphy's playing. I like him. And yet Murphy hardly played at all. He didn't play at all this season, did he? I don't think. Had he been sold? I don't know what happened to him. Was he, he injured? I mean, athletic in the summer, Jonathan. Of course he did. He went to Fisher. Of course he did. Bizarre, wasn't it? Yeah. But, yeah, I remember now. But we, we, we talked about that, but just saying what a ridiculous... Dis why go to such a, a lowly club when you were clearly a terrific player? But no, but Wood... Um, it didn't surprise me that Wood got sold and I didn't worry about it, which says an enormous amount about what I felt about him, which I feel slightly ashamed of now because he was clearly a pretty good player. But I think he was, I say, he was... Um, hoist by his own uh, versatility. Mm. I, I love the fact that, that you can tell the, the you know, the, the way that the times change and what is in vogue. And in the, in the 70s, Peter Houseman was called Mary. And now in the 80s, uh, the term of, uh, you, know, the, you know, the pejorative term for a girl is now Sharon. And that, yes, that, yes. I, Trevor and Sharons were the thing, weren't they, in the 80s? Yes, yeah, you're right. And Mary was much more a 70s thing. It's always yeah. a bit of a Mary. Peter and Mary, Trevor and Sharon. There you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark, what did you think of uh, Sharon? Sorry, Darren Wood. <laughs> um, again, very versatile player. But again, as Jonathan said, never had a proper true position at Chelsea. But he was with us for five years. Yeah. You know, and he played over like, like about 150 games for Chelsea. You know, so he, he wasn't a fly-by-night fly player. And when we sold him, he was only 25 when he left. And then we talked about Roy Wegley earlier going for only £75,000. We sold Darren Wood for three hundred and fifty thousand. That, that was a decent fee, mm. um, and I think the difficulty of Darren, Darren Wood you know, was, you know, he had, you know, he had the old mistake in him, and I think more his mistakes when he played at fullback. I think when he played in midfield, he was never a flair player, and I think fans do like flair players. I think Darren Wood for me, I think he was a simple player, and that's not as a simple person. He did the simple things. He got the ball. He wasn't afraid to get stuck in. Yeah, he put his foot into the tackle uh, and then he'd give it a play better than him. Yeah. Uh, and I think he was a better player, probably even despite the relegation, of the beside a Mike Hazard than he was beside a Peter Nicholas. Yeah. I think, you know, Darren Wood was better playing beside flair players. Um, you know, he, he was a stopper and a giver. Yeah. He, he, he wasn't a create, creative player. Yeah. So, yeah, he never sort of like made his mark in sort of five years at Chelsea. He wasn't a bad player. You know, you know but you know, I suppose we probably got offered 350k and probably thought it was too too good an offer to turn down. Yeah, good point. Uh, all right, so let's fast forward to Saturday the 4th of February 1989, uh, a place that we, we don't very often go to, Fallows Park, in, uh, which is in Walsall, which you can actually see the ground from the, uh, you know, the M6, the elevated bit of the M6. Uh, were you there, Mark? No, I wasn't. I checked. And I thought, for the life of me, I don't know why I missed that Walsall game. And I, I checked the gigs. There was no gig I went to that particular day. And even just checked with a few friends of mine. And for some some reason, most people don't remember going to Walsall. Well, I know. Which is unusual because I was 
Yeah, we're doing the, doing the away games back then. So there must have been something happening for most of us to miss the Walsall game and miss what was absolutely a, a brilliant result. You know, there's always those games you look back on and say, oh, I wish I'd been there. And clearly Walsall was one. It's 7-0 winning Gordon Jury getting five goals. Well, it's remarkable, this match. I mean, I think that was Chelsea's biggest uh, away win uh, in the league at the time. Uh, Jury scores five, as you said, uh, and he's the fourth, becoming the fourth Chelsea player to do so. Um, Mickey Hazard plays his first game of the season, uh, clearly pulling the strings, which he was. But for me, Jonathan, this match is made all the more remarkable by the fact that poor old Kerry wasn't playing and therefore missed out on the opportunity to get a handful. But five for ju- for jukebox, massive, wasn't it? Yeah, and he took them so wonderfully yeah. as well. Could have had it, six, seven, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he was just too quick for them. They were just... It, it, he was... I'll keep going on about it. He was a really class act, Gordon Jury, this season. He, he was he was far too good for the division. Um, but yeah, I mean, having said that, though, you probably find that you know, if, if if Kerry had been playing rather than them score twelve, they probably would have scored four or something. You know, just because it's different different setup. But he was on completely on fire, Gordon Jury, in this game. It's actually worth watching it on uh, on YouTube for the uh, just the you get a great idea of his. Um, his ability just is it's like a, a an extra set missile just targets the goal gets him finds a corner you know straight there very upright and erect as a player um, um breezes past people really really terrifically quick um um very uh, i mean just it was an ideal striker because he was he, he had the he had the speed of a winger but the the strength and uh, and and um, uh, just the focus of a of a of a of a top striker. I mean, I, you know, I can't speak too highly about him. Completely phenomenal. Well, he re- really deserved the five goals. Ab- absolutely great. great I mean, the, in- the interesting thing is, is that you know, obviously, the the, the front three would have been Kevin Wilson, uh, <clears throat> Jukebox, and uh, of course Dave Mitchell. So you know, just to prove how good Dave Mitchell was, he as a striker, he didn't get on the score sheet in a game where we we scored seven. I'd like to ask, though, he did get a reputation. Now, people, when say, name me um, terrible Chelsea strikers, um, he's one of the first on the list. Alan Mays. And I know Alan Mays is another one. Joe <laughs> Allen. And, yeah, and Joe Allen. Robert Flett. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Robert Chris Flett. Sutton. And Chris Sutton. We were going through them all, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Um, Torres, I'm afraid, creeps in there as well um, for me. Um, but um, uh, Mitchell appears to always top the charts in this instance. And... Uh, <laughs> I, he flicks on occasionally. He gets doesn't score. He doesn't seem to be completely out of his depth. He hardly ever played. So uh, how, how is it that he's got this reputation? Was it just that he was just a kind of wandering dunderhead? Is that what happened in comparison with the others of the time? I'm just I'm I'm bemused. Really. I think my memory of David Mitchell is, um, and although there's other players you name, I'd have him in my top two worst Chelsea strikers of all time. Just the simple fact, and my worst one would be Jim Doherty. Um, but, <laughs> oh, the one with the ginger hair. Yeah, yeah. But why? They never scored any goals. And I, I think a simple thing for me about a striker is your job is to score goals. And whatever any, and I'm up there with the best of them about Alan Mays. You know, for a period of time, Alan Mays got goals. You know, you know, Fleck, you know, he only got a few goals. And Chris Sutton only got a few goals, but they got a few more than David Mitchell managed. Well, indeed, they did. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think enough, enough said about Dave Mitchell, the better, really. But there you go. 
Uh, anyway, um, I think the other interesting thing about this period of the season as well, and I think this 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 um, has resonance when we get to the end of this show and we, we, we talk about how many goals Chelsea scored this season. But at this point in the season, it seems to me that, that Dixon and Jury are taking it in turns to be injured at the moment. So you, you're very rarely getting that wonderful threesome that we were talking about earlier on. Now, um, you know, we're in the middle of this phenomenally good uh, run. Um, we haven't lost a game. Well, we obviously lost the two cup matches, but we haven't lost in the league since 25th of October. Uh, we're in. We've been in first place since uh, beating Palace on the 14th of January. This run continues on as we then beat uh, uh, Swindon at home 3-2, uh, Plymouth Argyle away 1-0. Oldham uh, at home we draw against two all. Hull we beat two one at home. Watford we draw two all at home. Brighton we uh, uh, win away one nil, and that sets us up for. I mean, a lot of people one of one of the favourite matches of the season for a lot of people, which is when we uh, went up to Man City away. Now at the time, as I said, we'd 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 pretty much been in first most of the way through. We dropped down to second occasionally. Uh, after drawing to Oldham and uh, drawing to Watford. We're, so we basically, we head up to uh, Main Road uh, on the 18th of March, 1989. We're in first position. Uh, Man City are in second position. So this, and there are now, I think, about six games of the league season to go. So this is a really, really, really big crunch match. Mark, were you at this one? I was indeed. Hallelujah! <laughs> I think when we did my Chelsea, I think I think I said in my many my favourite. You did games, choose about fifty games to be fair. I, did, I know. I, I think this was in there. You know, clearly along with that other memorable game, game at Man City. Do you know? I, I thought we were in second place when we went there. Well, we might thought, we might have been because when I look yeah. at Bound of Friday, it's possibly looking yeah. at it. You know, post post yeah. the match because we were yeah. we were second. Actually, I'm reading the table wrong. We we were definitely. If I show you the table after the Brighton match, we would have been... Yeah, there we go. We had a game in hand on City. They'd played 34. We'd played 33. We're on 65 points. They're on 66, right? After yeah, it was, this it match... Was a top, it was a top, yeah. Sorry, mate. It, after it this, was a top of the table clash. Yeah, yeah. Go on, go on. Yeah, it, top of the table clash. Really, really important game. Um, and we were excellent that day. Um yeah, went up there. Uh, I think I said when I did sort of like my favourite games, like my sister was in uni at that time at Salford University. So any time we played Manchester, she always sorted out a decent pub in Salford to go to. And really important game. City were good. They'd beaten us at the bridge. So this is a really important game. And, so, you know, Kerry put us in the lead. Kevin Wilson got the second goal made by Kerry. And then everyone remembers the Man City game for that third goal. You know, that charge of the light brigade, as it's been described, where virtually half our team are charging out for the, the whole length of the pitch. With, you know, Tony Rigo's got, Tony Zirigo's got the ball. And I think Andy Dibble, if I remember rightly, was in goal for Man City. And you're just wishing that ball into the net because he scored down the Chelsea section. And we had thousands, I think it's the Platt Lane stand that day. And you almost like the ball gets sucked into the goal. And you know, tremendous performance. I know City got two late goals, similar to the full Members Cup final week, you know, we, we rode our luck at the end, but brilliant performance. And I think that day you just knew we were going up. Which is interesting because there were still, you know, there are still 11 matches to go. So it was, it was you know, not not by any rate had it all, you know, had the job had the job been done at all. But it's interesting that, uh, you know, you still remained 
you know, very, very, very confident. Um, there's another game, you know, in this kind of run, which uh, always uh, was one of my favourite games, actually. Uh, not that it had an awful lot of, uh, you know, I mean, there wasn't much riding on it per se. But it's the it's the Chelsea v Barnsley game, J.K., which I, 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 I it was a lovely sunny day. Number one, it was April Fool's Day. Don't know why I, I, I seem to recall that, but it was. But I remember it most because uh, my absolute hero put four superb goals away uh, that that day. Um, his his second goal was absolutely brilliant, left footed shot from outside the area. But Kerry scores four. We win five three. This is in a sense, it's a classic Chelsea game. Well, we came back, didn't we? I think they were uh, were they three two up at one stage in that game. Uh, we well, Dixon scored on four minutes. Uh, and then uh, Joe Mc... oh, Joe McLaughlin scored an own goal on six goal minutes. again. Yeah, yeah. Then they went ahead uh, with yeah. Dobbin yeah. on twenty. Yeah. Then Jury equalised on twenty-five. Then they scored again with Agnew on forty-six. So they were they were three-two up at half time. I think the thing to remember is that that Dixon was probably quicker than Jury. <laughs> Jury was really like a greyhound. So you had these these two really. Top sprinters, top athletic, top athletes, both of them playing for Chelsea up front with this little nippy player. Uh, and and uh, Wilson was a bit speedo-like, really, in that he he could flick the ball on and he was a good header of the ball. So he was playing that role to an extent, but I'd love to have seen what speed he would have done with these two. I think he would have been phenomenal. Um, uh, as you can tell, I'm still a big speedy fan at this time. Um but yeah, that was a magnificent performance from Kerry, who I think was in and out because he wasn't quite fit at certain times. Um, and uh, But he was absolutely on top form in this game. Can I just say that, uh, interesting enough, in the Swindon game, um, the, the FIFA, the FA tried something um, that, that was actually really rather advanced for this period. And they, they, of course, rejected, which was to try and get teams of referees to be uh, in groups to uh, to run games so you'd have um rather than having two people running the line who, who obviously qualified refs but didn't ref as we have nowadays because you have the ref is just the ref and he's paid a certain amount of money and he has a team of linesmen these were teams of refs so you had three refs in this instance gun lewis and hill and they all altern- alternated one would ref one the other two would run the line um and they tried they were all fifa uh, FIFA referees or top referees and they did Gillingham um, Rangers and Aldershot and uh, they I think they did the City game uh, and um, they didn't pursue it uh, and to me it was eg- the, exactly what should be done now which is you have teams of refs uh, uh, an actual team that stays together all the time that is not the ref himself it, it, it prevents refs from being as egotistical as they are now it prevents the superstar ref it present, prevents the Anthony Taylors strutting around. He would be, he'd run the line the next match uh, and be part of that team. And to me, that is the way that refereeing should have gone. And it didn't. And this was the, this was kind of the, uh, the opportunity to try it out. And I think it went well and it wasn't pursued. And so the consequence is we're left with these preening, um, self-promoting idiots who just swan about and get it all wrong. Who, and and re- don't want to respond to uh, um, to VAR in case it proves that they've actually made a dreadful mistake. So uh, um, uh, it's a shame this never went any further. And just to also add to this, um, um, they then signed Ken Moncow just after this, after this particular 
this particular 5-3. So that was a good, it was a very good period for Chelsea, I felt. And also good for football. Well, interesting. And the thing about Moncow, of course, was the poor chap um, had been asked to go uh, on a Dutch tour to Suriname. Uh, and um, Chelsea re refused to let him go because I think he was involved in a, obviously in a, a league game. And the plane that went crashed and 21 players died. Um, only 11 survived out of 157, uh, um, which was an, an absolute disaster for the uh, for, for the Dutch uh, FA. But um, uh, nonetheless, um, Ken missed that. So uh, hmm. um, there we go. That's why uh, why uh, Dennis Bergkamp became the non-flying Dutchman, isn't it? Indeed, hmm. absolutely correct. All right. Well, Mark, I'm going to ask you about uh, Kerry on the, uh, the in the 5-3 in Basel because I, I thought. You know, I mean, you know, the, the the great man scored so many goals, 193 goals for us. I think that's one of his best ever performances for us. But I mean, you know, I, I, I would defer to your greater, you know, live watching experience of that time. But I, I, I just think he put in the complete striker's performance that day. And it showed, you know, his power, his pace, his skill, his ability to finish. It was just, that's why it's one of my favourite games. I'd agree he was excellent that day. And again, like the perfect hat trick, if I remember rightly, he got one with his right, you know, that particular second goal with his left where he turns on the edge of the yeah. penalty area, puts it in the top corner, one with his head, then he gets a fourth goal as, as the icing on the cake. And actually, he could have got more goals that day. It was an end-to-end -end game with Barnsley. I think, you know, by the time he got his fourth goal, there's still 20 minutes to go. So he had other chances, but he was absolutely superb that day. I, I would agree that's probably one of his... Yeah, his best best games. I think the only one I think is probably the other time we got four. I think when we were playing for Gillingham, where it was like the perfect striker's performance. But Kerry was on such form that season. He was so good in that eighty eight nine season. Yeah, after sort of the, the difficulties of the previous year, the fallout with John Hollins, the rumours of him being sold to Arsenal. He was a key part of why we got promoted back into the first division. He had a great season. Uh, did he not then sign another uh, a four year deal? He as did. Well? He did. I think. Yeah. He did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the the other thing I would say, I mean, just watching it back again today, I, I, I mean, what what it, what 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 struck me was the fact that, um, I mean, forgive me, I can't remember how old he would have been by then. Mark might know, but um, he just looked. There was something that the maturity you get, you know, when you get really good strikers who are good when they're young, but they carry on and they still play well, and they're getting to kind of twenty eight, twenty nine. They just have that knowledge, that game knowledge, that nous. And he looked like that kind of a striker. You know, that's what I mean. I think, he, you know, we all know how bloody marvellous he, he, he had been for us for the, the five seasons, six seasons previous. But he just looked the complete striker, like, like Drogba did, you know, uh, you know, circa 2012. Uh, to 2011 you know they just have that that knowledge that nous they know how good they are they're totally confident in their ability and they know how to make it count and Kerry I think this season he looked like that kind of a player Mark he was you know he was in such form and I think if I remember rightly he was 22 when he signed for us for Reading in 83 so he would be about 27 28 yeah. that season you know so you know perfect you know you know, you know, mature, mature striker, you know, and in the form of his life, you know, playing, playing really, really, really well, almost back to the level when he sort of got selected for England. 
Which begs the question why he didn't get picked again. I mean, if you ask Kerry, he'll always tell you, well, you know, there were quite a few good strikers around at the time. But I, th- I just thought he looked he looked so on top of his game and a man at very ease with his own ability. And, and it was a wonderful, wonderful thing to say to see. So this basically leaves us uh, with 21 points clear. 21 points clear with six games to go. So we then uh, we beat West Brom, who are still very much challenging at the top as we are 3-2 away, which is a great game. We played brilliantly that day. Uh, our next game is Leicester City away. Um, what could possibly go wrong? This was this was a game. Had we won it, we would have broken the record for uh, you know most most wins, I think, or, or or unbeaten run or something like that. I can't remember. Mark will tell me in a minute. Um, but it it ends up being a, an unmitigated disaster on actually what also ended up being an incredibly dark day for football because the date uh, was, of course, uh, the 15th of April, 1989. Uh, we'll talk about that after we talk about the game. But, Mark, um, were, you, were you at the game? I was indeed. Like, ho- horrible day, you know, um, for, for many, many reasons. Um, that There is something about Leicester as well. Every time we went up there in the 80s, very hostile atmosphere, you know, their fans, the police towards us. We always brought a huge following. And if we'd won that day, yeah, we were going for the title as well. I know we had this huge point. We were going to win the league eventually. But that was, you know, that was the day where most people went and thought we would win the league. That was the and, Bolton moment in a way, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like the, the Bolton moment, you know, you know, Chelsea are back, you know, glor- glorious day in Leicester. And everything conspired against us, including an absolutely shocking refereeing performance by Tom Fitzharris. Um, bad enough, he disallows a Kevin McAllister goal. If, yeah, if people watch this back on YouTube, yeah, if anyone could explain to me how Kevin McAllister could possibly offside, yeah, we break from inside our own half and the ball plays backwards and McAllister runs and there's Leicester defenders. You can see him making the run. So how he was offside, I really don't know. Leicester get... Such a debatable penalty. I know Besant saves it, but again, it was just reflective that whole afternoon. Uh, and I think Peter Nicholas gets sent off in the last minute as well. You know, the whole day, everything was seen to be stacked against us. You know, I think I'd read that the players were told beforehand. You know, if we if we'd won, they were not to celebrate in case they antagonised. But there, the there was a re- there was a reason for that though, Mark, wasn't there? Because you know, so many Chelsea fans had turned up. And this is why, actually, this is pertinent on on the day, given what happened uh, in at Hillsborough that day. But there were so many Chelsea fans that were turning up, and the police were putting them into the pens, and they were they yeah. were too crowded, and it looked there was a there was a nasty atmosphere brewing. And I think that's why the referee had said to the players, "You can't go and celebrate with the with the uh, the fans because it might all go off." And I don't know what it was about Leicester. Um, they only ever gave us half that away end. You know, and the home ends on the left-hand side. And we've been playing them countless times in the late 70s and early 80s. And we always brought a huge following to Leicester. And Leicester, it's in and the song. Yeah. <laughs> and Leicester, we always brought a huge following. And they always crammed us in to half a terracing. And it was always dreadfully overcrowded there. Fences were up by now. So you were literally penned in and fenced in. And so... It was just a really horrible place to go to in, in, in the 80s, not like, you know, as, as it is now. Um, and it was just an awful atmosphere that day. Um, and then, you know, the end result is, you know, we miss out on winning the league. But then within no time at all, it really doesn't matter because as the second half is on, the stuff starts filtering through 
or what's happening sort of like you know fur further up the M1 motorway which was which was dreadful i mean i <clears throat> i wasn't obviously you know this game the leicester chelsea game wasn't televised so i was actually glued to the television watching the the fa cup semi-final between uh liverpool and nottingham forest and it was just awful what unfolded jk wasn't it uh, uh it was would you believe i was playing cricket for the mcc that day i put um uh highgate school which when when the whole thing uh unfolded and it was oh it was it was absolutely appalling yeah but um uh, uh once again it was something that we weren't surprised by were we because this this pushing that had been going on and the the packing of terracing with um with uh, with far too many people for the space was a was a constant and that i i think i've said this before that was why I found it very difficult to go away to some of these games just because I found it too dangerous. I, I was I was consistently being um, uh, thinking I, I'm, I'm going to be crushed here. So uh, I think amongst so many of us, this was wasn't a surprise in the slightest that uh, that this disaster had happened for whatever, whatever reason, whether it was policing or um, uh, stewarding or um, or even the clubs the club's lack of um, understanding of what was happening or the, the disrespect for the fans, which appeared to be the case. It was always, there was a, a feeling that every away fan was somehow a hooligan, which of course was, was not the case. And I think something also that seemed to happen an enormous amount was the people who ran on the pitch far from looking for, for fights were frequently just, you know, 14 and 15 year olds who just like running on the pitch. You know, they, it was fun to run on the pitch. It was fun to, to go up to your players and embrace them. There was a lot of that going on. And uh, uh, and that got tarred with the same brush of it being that somehow they were gonna be looking for people to hit. I mean, that obviously did happen, but it didn't happen to the degree um, that uh, that the media made out. Um, but yeah, this was uh, absolutely an appalling day. And of course there was the theory that the referee had deliberately uh, attempted to prevent Chelsea from winning the match because he didn't want um, there to be an incident. Uh, and that was before they knew that Hillsborough had taken place, just was that they were, um, he had deliberately, uh, because I think the players had been told not to celebrate. And uh, I think he was um, uh, was irked by their, I, I don't think they, he got a positive response. I don't know if, if, if you remember the story, Judge. I don't mm, think he yeah. got a... I don't think he got the referee got a positive response from the I players. Think they told he him said, where to go. Well, indeed, I think this is possibly what happened. Mm. And so his reaction was to work out how he could fix the game in the second half, and that was allegedly what what occurred. They were they were trying to prevent there being any reaction from the from the Chelsea fans for fear there would be a riot. Well, uh, there wasn't a riot because we lost 2-0. But, I mean, as as Mark said, you know, all the way back, I mean, I, I wasn't there. And as I said, I was watching the Liverpool-Forest match on, on, on TV, so saw the horror of that unfolding. But I've got a lot of mates like you, Mark, who, who were up at Leicester, and they all say, uh, you know, on the way back, they were, you know, pretty crushed. No pun intended. That very poor use of words there. But they were obviously pretty fed up with the fact that, we, you know, we hadn't been able to win the... Uh, you know the the title that day but they were glued to radios listening to what had been going on because of course there were a lot of rumors going around, around that somebody had been killed was it was it aggro you know eventually it all filters through that actually you know the horror of what had happened 
And I think this is the point, isn't it? You know, any any supporters of any football club, Chelsea included, who were going away at that time, not one of them would would even think about uh, besmirching uh, Liverpool fans or anybody who died in that horrible disaster in 1989 because they all know that there but for the grace of God it could have been them because this was such a regular occurrence going on in away terraces in those days appalling policing supporters nobody gave a shit about the supporters they were treated terribly packed in like sardines so you know Hillsborough was a disaster waiting to happen and it could have happened on innumerable occasions to many many other clubs well before this and in fact the great irony is is that you know it could have gone horribly wrong at Filbert Street Mark. Uh, exactly and I think it's how how things it's changed in such a short period of time. The initial reports while we were in the ground were coming through that the, the, the game had been stopped, there'd been a pitch invasion, and it was being tagged as hooliganism. You know, so there were the early reports, and we didn't really know the full story. I, I like people had died. You know, we, we got out of Leicester, you know, we'd lost. We went up by minibus, we got further down the motorway, and we adjourned in the pub. And then you go into the pub, so you don't have this 24-hour news like we have today back then. So it's only when we watched in the pub and you saw it, you know, being revealed in front of you, you actually realised that people had died. But not just that, you know, that you know, self-realisation kicks in. So do you know what? We've been in that position. And I know we talked about it on last week's show, being crushed at Tottenham. But actually, all the guys I went to football with, we were all there in Hillsborough in the mid-80s when in the Leppings Lane, we'd gone down that very same tunnel and being crushed in that very same tunnel. I think Jack Chart might be manager at Sheffield Wednesday at the time, probably about 1982. Uh, and, you know, Hillsborough is very like Tottenham, and I talked about it last week. They used to open up one pen at a time, fill that pen up, and then move on to the next one. But they never filled the pens up until everyone was crushed in the first one. When you can actually see there's usually three or four pens that were, you know, that were completely empty. And that's the way way they steward and police matches then you know Hillsborough was an accident waiting to happen you know sadly it happened to Liverpool fans it could have been Chelsea fans could be other fans as well and as I said we didn't really appreciate what happened until we're watching it at a pub about 50 miles out of Leicester I think we went for a drink in Northampton if I remember rightly we always used to get Northampton and played Leicester and you see that tragedy unfurling in front of you yeah I mean there you go I mean it could have been any of us and as I said, anybody who was going going in those days knows that. So it's worth bearing that in mind. So ultimately, our championship bid was postponed by a week. And uh, funny enough, it's kind of weird serendipity with this, I think, because our incredible run, really, uh, and turnaround of form started with an away win against Leeds earlier in the season. And our next game is Leeds at home. And uh, we uh, we beat them 1-0 with a, a Johnny B goal. Great Johnny B goal, Mark. Uh, lovely to see him score because he's our, he's our longest serving player at this stage. But the 1-0 win uh, basically clinches the title. Uh, we're champions. We're going back up again. A happy, happy day, yeah? Very happy day. And just seems apt that John Bumps was the goal scorer. He was the man that pretty much got our season back on track with the goal he got up at Ellen Road earlier in the season. And as you said, he, he was our longest serving player. So I think, yeah, we clinched promotion and clinched the title all on the same day. And I think if I remember rightly, there were still about four, four or five games to go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we you know, exactly. We still had uh, Shrewsbury away, uh, Stoke at home, Bradford at home and Pompey away. 
the only two things I would say about those are that uh, the 3-1 win at home, our last home game of the season uh, against Bradford, Graham Roberts finally missed a penalty. And uh, in the last game of the season, which was a 3-2 win uh, against Pompey at Fratton Park, uh, Graham Lasseau made his debut when he came on for Steve Clark on 14 minutes, JK. Wow. And uh, other than the shirt-throwing incident that got him transferred, um, what a player he was when he came back to the club. Well, if you, if you think about it, you know, because this is lovely, isn't it? This whole series has been a sequential study of Chelsea's history for the last 50 years. And we're now talking in 1989 about Graham Lasseau, who was still playing for us in 2003, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and became an England England international England international. Yeah, as a because uh, he was such a good player. Huge favourite of mine, Soxie. Actually, I have to say, did love him. Um, anything. Despite him being a Guardian reader and therefore um, getting the hatred of. A I'm large surprised he wasn't. Fan. What would have, what would the '90s equivalent of Mary or Sharon been? Um, if Tina. Called Graham. I think Graham was enough. Probably wasn't it? He didn't need to Tina. Be maybe. Um, uh, '90s equivalent. Um, uh, Bailey Harriet Bailey Harriet surely. Harriet okay yeah maybe who That's knows Bailey, Bailey's 200 2000 I think you're right actually Harriet yeah yeah, yeah. yeah or even um, uh, no, no, Die, well, probably, Die. Ch- probably Chelsea in the noughties you know but anyway yeah it's true it's true yeah. anything you know any memories from the last few I mean obviously you know beating Leeds to go up and be, be champions you must remember that very fondly but anything you remember from the last few games um, I remember the. Um, uh, I was present at the the trophy presentation, and it was all very low key. Actually, it was. And, and uh, well, you know and, why um, that was because there'd been a minute silence before. Or was this the was this the Bradford game, the last home game? Uh, this was the um, when we were awarded the trophy, wasn't that the uh, Bradford or was it Leeds? Bradford game? Yeah, three one. Yeah, and they were they were very much on. Um, they applauded us all the way through it, the Bradford fans, and uh, and I think if I remember rightly, were 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 uh, wanted to attend the trophy being awarded and were shooed out by the police, which caused us all to boo them. I I remember I was in the East stand and just objecting to the fact that the police the the trophy wasn't awarded until the police got got rid of them all out of the ground. I suppose it was an opportunity to prevent what they thought would be some kind of uh, friction. If if all the players, if all the fans were staying in the crowd, is to get rid of the opposition, so there then isn't a, a fight. But there was going to be no fighting. We just won the won the title. But I think that was that was very typical of the police reaction. There was this constant belief that if Chelsea were involved, there'd be a scrap. So indeed. Uh, now I know Mark's got a good story uh, from the last home game of the season, haven't you, Mark? Yeah, the, the Bradford City game, Like a, a friend of mine um, who now lives in Ireland, but at the time he was sort of going regularly with us to sort of see Chelsea, and he worked for Barclays Bank, and I think you mentioned on the last show that, you know, the league was now sponsored by Barclays, uh, and Barclays did, well, it was an employee incentive scheme back then, um, that Barclays employees, because Barclays had a box in the East End, they could put their name down. And if you were lucky, you'd get, you know, the box that they had at Stamford Bridge for one game a season. So we had bigger games that season. We played West Brom, we played Sunderland, we played Man City. Uh, but he took a pun early on in the season of, see if he could get the box for the last game of the season. 
you know, hoping we would have got promotion, had something to celebrate. And lo and behold, you know, Barclay sort of said to him that he'd got the box. And I think you could seat um, eight people in the executive box in the East Stand back then. So he invited all, his, all of his friends. And I think we were probably quite of the viewpoint, you know, we'd happily have contributed, but he was quite adamant. Um, this was a perk of the job and everything was for free. Um, so we sort of sitting in the box um, and it's the first time any of us had ever been in an executive box. And in the sort of late 80s, in the executive box, they had this buzzer. Um, so when you sort of settled into your seats, they sort of send the sort of waitress up and they sort of said, well, if you want anything to drink, just press the buzzer. So obviously there's eight of us there. You didn't have to ring a bell or anything, Mark? It's like, it's like a bell, sort of like the buzzer. So <laughs> someone presses the buzzer. Um, uh, and then obviously they bring up the first round of drinks uh, and they sort of say, um, well, who should we charge these drinks to, sir? Because Barclays would hire it out to other companies. And our friend says, well, Barclays, of course. And we say, are you sure about this? He said, yes, 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 yeah, it will be charged for Barclays. Uh, um, so then within 10 minutes, presses the buzzer again. And within another 10 minutes, the buzzer gets pressed again. And by half time, the buzzer has been pressed about four times. So the waitress comes up the, the fourth time and she says, are you sure you work for Barclays? And we go, yeah, yeah, we work for Barclays. Um, and then you've mentioned that obviously Graham Roberts missed the penalty. Um, so we're, we're three, one up and obviously Roberts has um, the chance to score and make it four, one. And I think we'd already pressed the buzzer for about the sixth or seventh time. And <laughs> literally the waitress is walking in with the drinks as Roberts is taking the penalty, you know, and obviously he misses the penalty and you have that normal reaction that eight people would have when you're missing a penalty and, all this abuse gets held at Graham Roberts, literally, as she walks in the door. And she says, are you absolutely sure you work for Barclays Bank? And we keep saying, yeah, of course we do. Now, the strange thing, we're still saying to our friend Des, look, we'd happily contribute. It's been a fantastic day. We've won promotion. And he was absolutely adamant. You know, this is a perk of the job. He's given 20 years of his life to Barclays Bank. The very least they, sh they should do is allow him to treat his friends to a game of football. Um, the sort of moral of this story is that um, soon afterwards he lost his job. At <laughs> I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. Sorry, Mark. Go on. Did that contribute in any way, Mark? <laughs> I think that probably can contribute to the end of his career at Martin's Bank. <laughs> oh well, never mind. Good way to go out, that's for sure. Um, and this is a good way for us to go out too, really, just to kind of summarise this season, which, as I said before, is, is absolutely one of my. My favourite, favourite seasons, not just for the reasons I said earlier on in the show, but for, for the way that we played and the style with which we went up. To underline this, we go up as champions, obviously. Uh, we have the most wins, 29. The best unbeaten sequence, 27. The record, record number of points, 99. Uh, we were 17 points above second-placed City. Uh, we scored 96 goals this season. Kerry got 28 out of 44. Uh, Graham Roberts scored 17 goals, 12 of the penalties, and he picked up the player of the year. Uh, Graham Roberts and Kevin Wilson, as Jonathan was saying earlier, most appearances at 52. Um, I think we only lost four games all season. Um, yeah. No, we lost five games all season. Uh, quite, 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 quite astonishing. Um, and Roberts was excellent. Yeah, well, he and he and Nicholas were the difference, and actually, yeah. it's interesting because yeah. I've got Kerry, Kerry and Bummers both talking about uh, what they felt about this season right now. Bobby Campbell came back up on, in 88, 89 yeah. season yeah. with the same players, bar two, yeah. the same squad that went down, yeah. a little bit of 
arm around a few people, yeah, and, yeah. you know, a few faces had changed because Speedy had gone, Spackman had been gone, Eddie Nisveski had injured his knee, yeah. but he came, he replaced him with Dave Besson, who had come in the season before, but we went down with him. And we had Roberts and Nicholas, the only two players changed from the squad that went down. Stevie Clark, Tony Dorigo, Clive Wilson, myself, Gordon Jury. We all went down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yet the same team come back up as champions. We didn't lose for a run of 26 games. And we finished the year after fifth in the first division yeah. again. Which well, is I the best that a, we did in your time, certainly. As well, we Chelsea. were challenging for the title in 90, up until a, a very dodgy Easter. Yeah. Uh, Roberts oh. and uh, Peter Nicholas added a bit of stilt to that side, through the centre. They added what was ever necessary. Graham Roberts was a very underrated footballer he as, was, a, yeah. as a man. He was a very good captain. And a very good leader. And Peter Nicholas had similar qualities. Yeah. They came in as captain and vice captain. That's what I'm saying. They added a bit of depth and st- still. A bit more good. They'd come on a bit of. Yeah, yeah. You know. A bit of a... Um, but the most important thing was Bobby Campbell. I won't get away with that. And, you know, sheer credit to the man. He, he was one of the best managers I played under. Yeah. And he was underrated by Chelsea fans. Yeah. He yeah. he soothed the dressing room that was hostile. Yeah. It, Which is no mean thing. And it was. They were internationals. Pat, uh, Pat, Pat actually went. Um, I'm not quite sure when he went under, under Bobby. Oh, uh, after what, Middlesbrough, what year, wasn't it? Yeah, after whatever year. Uh, but you know, Stevie Clark, uh, Gordon Jury, uh, Kevin Wilson, Northern Ireland, and myself, yeah. all international, international players. Yeah. And yeah. you know, you come into a dressing room hostile with that sort. You've got to be some sort of good manager to calm it all down mm. and then produce results. Although having said that, I think first six games, I think uh, we struggled in. Uh, we got three points out of six games, and then we went unbeaten for 26. I think the first first win was against Leeds, wasn't it, up at Ellen Road? Walsall. Uh, we, yeah. I'm not sure. Anyway, yeah. stats, you, you should know more. You'd know better than I would. But I think Walsall in the League Cup, we, we won in the League Cup game. Big, something yeah. along them lines. About five or something, wasn't it? You, not you, quite sure, but we won. You thumped and, and then the run started. Yeah, it was... In comparison to the one that went up before, it, it was a real professional sort of team you know there was experienced players and, and we'd just get the job done and then if we could go on and win easily we would but we wouldn't take the foot off the pedal you know it was proper and everyone was if, if you didn't do your job you was told yeah Bobby Campbell being the manager obviously yeah I mean it was more the players on the pitch I right. remember him saying Bobby Campbell there was five games to go six games to go and he said if we win this one I'll need to be here Really? We won, and he come in. What are you doing here? <laughs> 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 but, uh, he was a good manager, John. He was all right, but it, I mean, he, I think it, the penny dropped with him because if we we didn't weren't doing bad, he ran and rave and throw, yeah. you know, the teacups. But you can only do that so many times, especially with experienced players. It, you know, you just sit there and think, oh, here he goes again. Yeah, you yeah. don't even listen to what he's saying. But tactically, was he good? And the yeah, yeah, but was, he was probably right. He didn't need to be there in half the time. Because yeah, yeah. it was that good a side. That yeah. You had Peter Nicholas come in then. Yeah. 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 And Graham Roberts was at the back, right? Yeah. 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 That was a bit of steel. Yeah, well, I mean, Tony Dorigo, yeah. yeah. uh, Stevie Clark. Kevin Moncow. Yeah, I mean, it was a good yeah, side. A real good side, yeah. Real good side. Especially for that division. I mean, yeah. Was miles better than a lot of teams. And I think that that underlines the point you were making a minute ago. I mean, in, in a, it's an old cliche, isn't it? But the season before, really, we were probably too good to go down. But we got into a bit of a funk, you know, yeah. with, with results. And then, lo and behold, you're in a playoff, and anything can happen. And that's kind of what happened. 
because they were you were a, you were a good side those few yeah, years. Yeah, I mean he shook it up a bit, brought some players in yeah. as you need to do. Of you do. But he, yeah. he, he keeps saying it, he bought experience. Well, Graham Roberts, I think. Yeah, is probably key experience leader. pros. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. gnarly old leader. Even yeah. if he was a Tottenham player, but we won't yeah. talk about it. No, he was. He was, he was great. <laughs> he, well, I mean, I remember at the time he was well. I mean, that that, that wasn't happening as far oh, as I remember. You tell me different. I don't think anybody was gave a stuff about the fact that he was no, Tottenham. It's what he was doing for Chelsea. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember a game we played at Shrewsbury and they had a corner, and I always was the first man. I was always the first man on the sort of six-yard box. Yeah, the one at Shrewsbury, and I'm standing. They've got a corner, and I'm standing first man, sort of edge of the six-yard box. And the, we're at the Shrewsbury's end, and they're singing, old man, old man. <laughs> oh, no, leave off. Anyway, Graham Roberts was behind me, and I was pointing at him. So, <laughs> oh, lovely. <laughs> so there you go. Now, we were talking about Robbo, weren't we, we JK, um, who, who subsequently, sadly, because I think Robbo, you know, played a massively important uh, part in our history, in, in in not only his phenomenal ability at taking penalties, but for provi- providing that grist, that grit in the middle of the of the pitch, uh, and and aggression and leadership, which helped to get us back up. I thought Nicholas, as Kerry was saying as well, Peter Nicholas and and, and Robbo were fundamental to that. Um, and it's, you know, he he seems to have been a real shithead really ever since and, and stuck his colours firmly to the Spurs mask and become a bit weird on Twitter and stuff which he's I think an is a, isn't well, he's an ambassador for Spurs but it's a great shame I think because you shouldn't underestimate his contribution to this season at all should you oh good well, I thought he was great you know I'm I'm just I'm confused as to why he should he should be so uh, Spurs centric really I mean he played for Rangers is he is he anti-Rangers um but no, he, he he did exactly what, you know, hats off to Campbell. He did exactly what was required for the division. Him and Nicholas were a very formidable partnership. And he's a he's a tough cookie, Roberts. And it was what was required from the middle of defence. And um, I, as I say, I, I, I take my hat off to the manager and to him. He had a fabulous season. And the ability to constantly put the penalties away, which was also, I think, Dury was frequently brought down because of the way he charged into the area. And Kerry as well, because of the speed that they had, um, uh, you needed somebody to put the penalties away, unlike what had happened the last few seasons, where, as you said earlier, Chidge, there was nobody to to take the penalties with any consistency. But it wasn't just that. He, it was the confidence that he inspired as well as a, um, as a, a defender and as a uh, and getting into the penalty area, um, uh, he had a, an absolutely terrific season. Would you echo those thoughts, Mark? Yeah, I, I would agree, Chidge. I don't know what's gone wrong with Graham Roberts, you know, and and with Chelsea. Maybe, you know, he's he's falling out with Ken Bates soon afterwards. I think over a, a property or a house deal, you know, and that's why he left the club. Because um, clearly now, you know, you know, he doesn't have a good word to say about Chelsea or their fans. But at the time, he was deserved Player of the Year. Yeah, he was a difference. You know, loved, that well loved, I think. I'm a very, very, very popular player. You know, scored 17 goals, one one player of the year, had a very, very good season, and you know, played a real key part in Chelsea getting promoted. I accept clearly, you know, he'll always be a Tottenham player because he played for them longer than Chelsea, and he won more trophies with them. But but uh, yeah, he played a key part as captain, and you know, the goals he got and the penalties he scored in that season, you know, were really key to Chelsea getting promoted. I think I think I mean obviously you know the front three of Kevin Wilson, uh, Jukebox Jury, and uh, Kerry Dixon obviously need to take a lot of plaudits as well. 
Um, I also think, I mean, you know, it's it's really interesting. You know, I quite often do this actually when I'm when I'm putting the notes together. I kind of highlight the players who have played the most appearances, and it's actually really interesting. Apart from Dave Besson, who I I think also needs a massive pat on the back because I think he he came in and did a brilliant job for us when when we signed him when we did in January. Um, but these are the players that played the most games this season: Steve Clark, Kerry Dixon, Tony Dorigo, Gordon Jury. Kevin McAllister, Joe McLaughlin, Peter Nicholas, Graham Roberts, Clive Wilson, Kevin Wilson. If you add in Dave Besson to that, you've got the first 11. And it's I think that consistency speaks volumes, really. And, and you know, we all say this even nowadays, that, you know, a good, balanced, consistent side is what you, you always want. And I think that that, in a, in a way, epitomises it. But going back to, to, to Dave Besson, uh, Mark, you know, he, he, he really did have a big impact when he came in, didn't he? Yeah, as we said earlier, it's probably the same significance that Mickey Thomas had in '84. You know, he, he came in when the side was wobbling, and he made sure you know, you know, I think he kept quite a number of clean sheets as well. I think you know, he stabilised the, you know, the defence in front of him. Um, it just went horribly wrong for Besant in later seasons, shall we say? When you know he had that misfortune in the Norwich game when he dropped the the tin of salad cream on his foot as well and broke his foot. <laughs> exactly. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm, the other great thing about this season. Which which might might be overlooked by a few people, but this was the last time that we were in Division Two. We've we've never been in the lower leagues ever since thirty one years, and we're still in the top division. Um, which I I love that stat. But I think the big question, really, I mean, I've kind of nailed my colours to the mast, really, and and said that this is one of my favourite seasons of all time. Really, I just really really enjoyed it. I think, but. You know where does it where does it uh, rank uh, with you boys, Jonathan? Um, when I started attending again after I'd been uh, convinced it was going to be an absolutely appalling season and my my uh, um, enthusiasm was uh, somewhat tempered by the 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 fact that they started off so dreadfully um, and that they'd sold Pat, which was just really really pissed me off. Um, uh, I enjoyed the season immensely. But as you said, Chidge, it was a first division team in, in the second division. They should never have gone down in the first place. Um, but it was, uh, it, it's, it's, they achieved what they set out to achieve with, uh, with, in the end, with great ease. And so I'm, I like it as a season. I like it because the number of times they'd gone down to the second division and I've had hope and they've not gone straight up again. There's always been a reason for not going straight up. And they almost went down to the third division if it hadn't been for Clive Walker. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's up there with, well, it's, it's up there as a, as a season that we, we should have done every single time we went down because we appeared to be good enough for me um, to come straight back up. I'd always had the hope of coming straight back up. So in the end, I thought, yeah, absolutely right. We've come straight back up. Now let's see what happens. And I renewed my season ticket for the following year. In the East Stand? In the East Stand, still up, still up, 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 East Stand upper. All right. But I coveted the East Stand middle because I used to look down and think, they're really better views. It's a better view. And the season we got into the Premier League, what season did that start? The the Premier League start? 92. 92. I've got a ticket for the East Stand Middle, and I've been there ever since. There we go. Now, Mark, uh, where does this rank for you this season? Uh, I think it's a good season, but if you compared it to the other promotion season, I'd say 76-7 and 83-4 were better. Why? Um, Why? 
I think part of that, although the broken number of records in 88-9, it comes back to what Jonathan was saying. Um, we should never have got relegated the previous season. You know, we were we were too good to go down, and I think that's reflected in even with just a couple of players. We walked through this division. You know, we were actually too good for this division. Um, so it, it, it was a good season, no question. We started badly and finished really well. We broke a lot of records, scored a lot of goals. But the John Neal promotion season for me was much, much better. But why? Oh, oh good question. <laughs> uh, I think the players we had and the style of football we played as well. Better football. Um, it, it was better for it, it was I think what Bobby Campbell did was he did, did a job it was effective what he did you know the type of plays he brought in as I said they were very industrious very hard working but it was much more a sort of a long ball you know you know Besson played his part in making some of the goals where I think he played better football under John Neal hmm. I mean I think I, my my, my judge sorry JK my judgment is clouded I think by the fact that I was more engaged and involved with it this season than I was in 83-84 I think if I took that element out of it, I, I I think that you have a really good point. You know, we were far too good for this division, and we just we clumped clumped it really, didn't we? Uh, but it was very different football under John Neal. But uh, I, for me, the, for the personal reasons I've just said, this for me was was my my favourite season of the eighties. One of my favourite seasons of all time, as I said. Listen, that's a good it's a good segue actually, because I've always wanted to know this because you know a lot of my lot, my generation, they. Uh, they loved the 80, 84, 85 team, you know, and the kit and everything. It was my best team that I well, played under. Well, that's, that's no. what I was, I was going to ask you that, because actually, statistically, the 88, 89 team better. was better. And yeah. then that you ended up, because the 84, 85 ended up sixth, 88, 89, 90 ended up fifth. fifth. So who do you think was the better team? Yeah. Was it the 84, 85 or the 88, had 89, more, 90? The 84, 85 had so much more potential we right. were two full back short we it was an exciting team you didn't know what we we didn't know how far we could go where we were going to go and I believe it could have gone right to the top if it would have if things would have panned out John Neal hadn't been taken ill um JK um I, I can't say that I can't say that because there have been subsequent seasons that have been completely phenomenal but um, uh, and and once again, I echo Mark's sentiments that um, uh, we should never have been there. It was ridiculous. We were much better, um, and he did a job. But uh, uh, but to once again reiterate, um, the uh, the John McNeil season of um, uh, uh, well, we, we played much better football with, with um, uh, Speedo and Pat Nevin and uh, Mickey Thomas and all those players under McNeil, much better football, much more. Uh, and I'll say it again, it's reminiscent of the way we played at the beginning of this season with Frank. Really, really quick, speedy stuff. Whereas this was this was um this was clinical defensive steel and the ball being booted down the pitch to quick players. Um and so to me it's a bit more rustic. It's more of a rustic feel to me. I think I think the, one of the reasons why I perhaps my, my my judgment is clouded on this is because, for me, this is Kerry's season in a way. I think I think Kerry was at his absolute peak. Bizarrely, you might think it was earlier, but I I don't. I as I said earlier on in the show, I think he was the complete striker. He had that maturity with him as well. And I I always I my memories of this season are all all pretty much all built around Kerry and some of the goals he scored. And just Kerry, you know, wandering around in that fantastic Commodore kit. 
So there I you just go. felt it was a bit easy for him, Chidge, this season. And, yeah. and he needed to he needed to be um um stretched and I felt he was stretched well, the following season in the first division. I, he didn't do badly the next season. Indeed. But we'll he talk was, about that. Indeed we will. Next week. We will indeed. Because next season is is again, I think, actually, we're teasing it a little bit, a, a hugely underrated season for Chelsea, and we did rather well. But we need to go to bed. It's time for bed. Time to say goodnight. Uh, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this, as, as I always do every week, but particularly this week. Uh, Mark, as always, you've been fantastic, uh, and your knowledge and, and some of your stories from the games that you were at are just absolutely top-notch, mate. So thank you. Thanks, Chidge. Yeah, pleasure doing it. Mark, you are the cement for our dodgy structure. He's the Graham Roberts, really, isn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but... if I, if I, I've the, the Graham Roberts of Chelsea, so I'll, I'll be getting stick on Twitter in twenty years' time. <laughs> uh, well, no, I was going to say the Graham Roberts of Chelsea without the Spurs element is probably what, how I should have put it. Here's a question for you before we go away, as this was uh, the season where where Pat Nevin was sold. What year was it? where the apocryphal story where Pat Nevin got harangued by some Spurs supporters on the way to the game. He was on the tube on the way to a Spurs game and he clocked one and ran away. I mean, he, he basically punched one and then ran off. Do you know which year that was, Mark? I think that was a few years earlier than that. That was probably, I'd say, probably about 85, 6, 86, 7. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I thought it was 84. Yeah. I thought it was early on, actually. Wasn't it 84 or something? Yeah. I heard that. It would have been 84, 85. Yeah. 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 It's a shame we never mentioned it in that week, but we've done we've done justice and we've mentioned it this week. On that happy note, I am gonna say goodbye. Well done, both of you. Really, really enjoyed it. Jonathan, you've been marvellous as ever. So have you, Mark. We will reconvene next week to do nineteen eighty nine ninety. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times.